feature presentation. Whatever it is, it appears to be a genetic aberration. No shit. This weird aberration society. Welcome back uh, to Mutual Aberration Society. Um, I'm Ryan Jackson, as usual. Uh, and today I'm going to be talking about the new uh, Refin Netflix series, uh, Copenhagen Cowboy. And I've brought on a guest to talk about uh, Copenhagen Cowboy and Refin in general. Um, my guest is uh, Lorez. Uh, from movies, a podcast about about the act of cinema. Am I saying that the right? Act of cinema. <laughs> uh, Lorez, uh, as I usually do, um, I have my guests give their own introduction. So uh, tell everyone uh, who Lorez is. Uh, well, that's well. I'm a I'm a I'm a, a featured character on uh, movies, a podcast about the act of cinema, and I'm a filmmaker. I'm a YouTube personality. Uh, I do a little bit of everything, really. But uh, Movies is my weekly pr program where I will talk to my host about any number of features or TV shows that resemble features. So at some point, I think we're going to get to Copenhagen Cowboy and uh, Too Old to Die Young, which mm. was Refn's kind of sister piece to, yeah. to this that didn't quite take off. Yeah. Uh, by comparison, I think people have had a much warmer reception so far to Copenhagen Cowboy than Too Old to Die Young. I would definitely agree. I would, but I, and I, a big part of that I feel has to do with the length one, right? Like, mm -hmm. um, I actually, I don't know if you were a fan of Too Old to Die Young. I was, but I remember like it being, first, first of all, it's more than six episodes, but like almost each episode was feature length. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like over an hour, you know what I mean? As opposed to just an hour. Like I remember like the first episode was around like hour 20 or 30 or something like that. And mm -hmm. then like they had one of the last episodes was like 30 minutes. It was very, uh, um, and this is something I appreciate about Refn in general is like Refn is very much uh, one of those filmmakers who doesn't play within the the sort of, or he does, but he kind of plays around with the, with the quote unquote, uh, bounds of, of 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 cinema like you know what i mean whatever whatever any mm. and in, 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 in these two examples uh whether it's copenhagen cowboy or too old to die young he's basically doing cinema on for tv you know because it even even when when um and and we'll get into copenhagen cowboy one of the first things that i said about it was that like yes this is a tv show but it's it's too cinematic for me to even you know what i mean like to look at it, it in that View it as like a television show. Do 
Ona nije ta devojka koja se predstavlja. Ona ne donesi sreću. Ona ti čisti džavo. It doesn't yeah, feel it, like it's the same show. thing as um, True Detective season one. Right. Where I view that, when I think back on that season of True Detective, uh, I, I look at it as a movie, mm -hmm. even though it's a TV show. Yeah. I mean, that doesn't, that, that, that's not the case really with season two or season three. No. Um, I think there's certain, there's certain elements to these things where it transcends the medium. I do think Too mm -hmm. Old to Die Young is that. I also yeah. think it's yeah. keeping it confined to one season. So if this Copenhagen Cowboy continues and he kind of sets it up at the end for another season, um, if it's a success, if Netflix likes the product, mm. I don't know if it'll have that vibe in, in the long term. We'll see. But yeah, yeah. Um, yeah I, I think I accidentally cut you off on a point. You no, you're fine. You're, so. fine. no, you're fine. You're uh, fine. So I'll basically what I'll do for for I usually do this as I read the letterbox synopsis because it's always fun to see how bad or good these things are. <laughs> uh, but so the letterbox synopsis for uh, Copenhagen Cowboy reads as follows. After a lifetime of servitude and on the verge of a new beginning, Mew traverses the ominous landscape of Copenhagen's criminal netherworld, searching for injustice or searching for justice and enacting vengeance. She encounters her nemesis, Raquel, as they embark on an odyssey through the natural and supernatural. The past ultimately transforms and defines their future as the two women discover they are not alone. They are many. So, um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know if this happened with you at all. So I watched the show one and a half times. I didn't, mm. I, I, I cheated a little bit and I jumped mm. toward the end where, um, you know, I watched like the last three episodes when I was watching the program as it originally was dropped. What was it on January 5th? Yeah. I was in the middle of a very intense shoot schedule. So I was like passively paying attention to it. And there was a lot that went over my head. And then I returned to it um, earlier today. And I was like, wait a minute, there's vampires in this? <laughs> uh, what? <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. So there's, there's all these like mystical elements. And I, I, I also, I'm not proud of this, but mm. I, I like to work, you know, mm. and also have this going in the background sometimes. So I threw on the, uh, the dubbed, version two and i'm not <laughs> i'm not too mad at the dub version but i don't like the fact that they couldn't have gotten mm -hmm. uh the guy from pusher who's in triangle of sadness the actor's yeah. name is escaping yeah, me, yeah, yeah, to yeah actually voice his voice character so it was very off-putting anytime i saw him on the screen and it was i watched it voice. i did not watch the dub because i can't stand the dubs usually i, I yeah. definitely i watched the subtitle version so i am interested to, to, to even hear how how it would sound because i usually just fucking hate the dubs yeah yeah. like you know what i mean i'm always just i just rather hear them speak in their you know whatever voice the mm. actor actually i mean language the actor was speaking in uh but it, if they should have got they should have got anna from red scare to voice mew um <laughs> <laughs> considering that <it's, laughs> i made a joke that like yeah this new ref in movie stars anna from red scare uh uh, I kept seeing uh, Will from Stranger Things. They look like both of them like screen. got into the 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 blend the what is it the Brindle fly transporter machine and, and fucking <laughs> yeah, yeah. came out as the same human being like so yeah it definitely has that look and then it's funny because the the Raquel her nemesis who who very purposely 
Um, and we'll get a little bit more into it doesn't really matter. This plot is all over the place, but yeah, but there is this vampire who is her, I guess, perceived as her her nemesis, right? At least mm-hmm. by the synopsis, right? But they make sure that she's in red, right? As opposed to like Mew, who's in blue the whole time. You know what I mean? Like, so it's mm-hmm. like these two women, red, a red tracksuit, blue tracksuit. It's like Anna and Dasha <laughs> have to fight each other at the fucking next season. Um, but uh, it's it's really funny. Just, just Refn is like one of those filmmakers who, I'm always interested in what he has, like, I'm always interested in what he does. Like, it doesn't necessarily matter if it's a miss for me. Like, you know, there's certain filmmakers where it's like, yeah, this might be just, like, it's always, like, I think I think De Palma's like that for me, where it's like, bad De Palma is still interesting. Like, you know what I mean? Like, even if it's horrible, even if it's like Snake Eyes. Did you see Domino? <laughs> yeah, that's, that's a rough one. That's I mean, even rough. that though, like, I'm, it's fascinating to me to watch someone who's who's done all of these movies. You know, who some of them are, you know, people consider like classic movies, and someone that's a capable filmmaker. And then you watch a mess. You know what I mean? Yeah. And um, Refn, for the most part, to tie it back into Copenhagen Cowboy, um, it starts off like very straightforward. Like the very first episode we're introduced to Mew and Mew from what we can gather is, and she's referred to by the lawyer character, the guy from Pusher uh, as a lucky coin, right? Later Mm -hmm. on. But when we are first introduced to her, she comes, this woman has paid for her services because we, she's this lucky, she's a, a person who brings luck. She's able to make things happen. And this is a, this woman is, and I'm not quite sure, uh, cause they're in Copenhagen. Right. So, but are, I'm not quite certain. Are these people Roma? Like, I'm not quite sure. Like when I mean the, the guys who run the brothel and the woman, the guy's sister, like I can't quite place their, what their ethnicity is. Cause I'm too American to really, <laughs> to really understand like, okay, wait a minute. I understand that they're, they're ethnic people within Copenhagen. Like, right. you know what I'm saying? And they kind of have that sort of like Eastern Bloc kind of like, the type of people that are ethnic, but ethnically white people where, mm. where you know, the guys that have track suits and say bro a lot, like <laughs> those kind of guys, <laughs> like those kind of guys. Um, so they bring her in and because t- she, she wants to, we, we discover that this woman, she's an older woman, but she wants to, she wants to have a baby. Right. And the, everything from that point on, it, it's just, you're introduced to a, it's a very stark, it's very bleak because you, you get immersed in this underworld where where you she come you comes into this world. There are other women who we quickly find out are basically sex slaves, right? It's, it's human right. trafficking. It's they're they're forced to be in this brothel. None of these women have papers. Mew doesn't even have her papers, as we discover. But Mew's Mew's brought there specifically because, and I can't. I'm blanking on the. Do you remember the the the, the woman's name? Because I do not. Since yeah, I gave them all nicknames in my yeah. head when I was watching yeah. the show. Because I, I, I purposely, uh, I know you rewatched it because you said you were like in the middle of shooting. Like I purposely yeah. didn't because I it stuck in my head. But it was like, but I what I did do is I went back to uh, earlier Refn. Um, I watched Bleeder again. Um, uh, yeah, I was. That's I just a felt like one. Yeah, I, I just feel like something about like watching early earlier Refn to like juxtapose or talk about new the newer refin and it's just interesting to see like even that movie which is his second movie right after pusher right Mm -hmm. but even in those first two films 
you could see like, oh, like this guy is, is not only like, you know, I, I hate to throw around the word sort of like a visionary because I mean, it's kind of corny, but like, but like he's definitely one of those auteur kind of filmmakers where, where he had style. Like some people, some people like, I feel like have like faux style. Like, like you'll see like early efforts from filmmakers and they're trying to be stylistic. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. you're kind of like, okay, like you're just kind of like aping shit and, and you know, like whatever. But with him, it's kind of funny because you, you understand like, oh, like these are movies with modest budgets. But then you sort of look at sort of like even Bleeder. I was, I was noticing like the opening intros and like how, and I don't know if you've, last time you've seen the movie, but the movie opens like, each each character gets an introduction, right? But it starts with the camera like following their legs, tracking, before it cuts to them still walking, but it actually reveals them. You know what I'm saying? It reveals mm-hmm. their face, and then it gives the character a title name, and it's just very like, it's just very it's 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 like that. I always think of Refn as like a fetishist, right? Like everything that he does seems like fetishistic or fetishized, right? And like just from watching his early films and seeing sort of where he's gotten to now it's like it's always been there and and i I say that because i've and i promise we'll get back to 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 talking more about copenhagen cowboy (laughs) no i i i I love early refin i think um you know pusher is really the movie that Mm -hmm. gave me the nudge to get into filmmaking because prior to that i was a writer Mm. And I was like, all right, well, I'll, I'll just write novels for a living. Mm. That seems so out of my grasp. And then I watched Pusher when I was about 23 or 24. And I was like, wow, that's mm. that's an incredible film, but it's also a very doable film. Right. I wonder if I could do that. Mm. And so I started exploring all the mechanisms to create a movie mm-hmm. during that time. So uh, Raffin's a huge influence for me and a filmmaker I admire. I've seen all of his movies. It's been a while since I watched Bleeder. I, I downloaded a pirated copy of Bleeder because mm-hmm. I'd never seen it in HD. I got like a VHS rip or something. Yeah. Um, and I watched it that way. And then I, I had an HD copy, but there were no English subtitles. So I, I just visually <laughs> took it in. Um, yeah. That one's very slept on, Bleeder. It is. That's, that's, um, that feels so 90s comedy too mm-hmm. for like his filmography, I think. By compa- even though there's like a guy who gets injected with HIV, HIV. In it, you know, yeah, it's uh, it's a, it's as dark as any other. And Copenhagen Cowboy to me felt like, it, it, you know, it was like his homecoming. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been a while since he's done anything in Denmark, and I thought that was definitely the move after doing Too Old to Die Young because yeah. I wasn't a fan of of Too Old to Die Young when I first watched it, and mm-hmm. I'm still not really a fan of it. But I've mm-hmm. I'm a fan of select episodes. Yeah. I like that middle cluster. Um, but uh, I, I felt like he's going to go back to his roots. Mm-hmm. He kind of did that with, with Copenhagen Cowboys in and out. He's working with the same actors as he did in Pusher mm-hmm. um, and Bleeder. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I would, I would like to see him. I would like to see him get back there fully and re-team with Mads on a project. Yeah, and I don't ever think – I think – Copenhagen Cowboy, and I know he has this his other movie that he's got in the works. It's dealing. It actually has it's a plot has to do with Yakuza. I was reading about it, um, and they he had a little poster for it. But but I'm really interested to see what the next feature is going to be. Uh, but I will say that it's interesting because Copenhagen Cowboy kind of feels like early Refn blended with new Refn, right? It feels like it starts like early Refn, right? 
but as it progresses with each episode and gets more out there, it starts to be like reffing of that we've come to know who's made movies, you know, like Neon Demon and and you know, like out there shit. Like it, it it's like one of these and it and it's, again, like I don't know, how did you feel uh upon like once it started to like I don't know, about what episode did I kind of understand that he was just kind of winging it? <laughs> because like he even there's an interview he posted uh i don't know who somebody posted and i saw it on twitter and um where they was talking to Reffin about him making making a copenhagen cowboy and he said mm-hmm. he was on set and he walked up to mew the actress who plays mew and said okay now you know kung fu and that wasn't even in the script right <laughs> like it is like, like now you know kung fu and then like in another episode he's like now you can do this you know it's like it's it, it's like I can't, I think it was around, I think it was around like the third episode where I kind of understood that, where I was like, oh, like, okay, like, I, I know he's about to go full, like, episode, by the end of this, it's going to be completely some other shit, which I appreciate. And honestly, honestly, uh, he's one of the few, like, filmmakers where I, I feel like he can get away with that. Like, I don't feel like a lot of people can get away with that. Like, and I feel like a big part of that is is because he sort of understands and this is the thing that this is the thing that I feel like a lot of people miss about like cinema, right? Which is cinema in and of itself is a separate thing and it can do certain things that other mediums can't. And and just like just like, you know, the novel can only can do certain things that other mediums can't. You know what I mean? Like mm. where it's like there's certain strengths to a novel that just don't apply to film and vice versa or you know even television, which this is television, but I still I still view it as cinema. So he gets a he understands like aesthetics in a way, right? Where like like it's not just it's not just and I appreciate this about him from somebody who who's had you know a, a career if you want to call it that a career in screenwriting for a significant amount of time now. Like I look at him and what he does, and I appreciate it on the level of like oh he doesn't give a fuck about like the plot mechanics because I feel like over here specifically when i say over here i mean like hollywood but i mean west the west you know western civilization and the entertainment that exists here we are so hyper focused on this idea of like plot points you know what i mean going it goes from a absolutely to c to d you know what i mean like and following a a rigid structure and it has to make it has to be coherent and logical and i'm of the thinking that no it actually doesn't like you know what i mean yes yeah. it, it yeah. can be it can be and there are films that do that well but that's not the only kind of story that you can tell or the only way you can tell a story specifically in movies because movies again like are are they're they're there's it's more than just one element right you're you're merging you know it's it's audio it's visual it's mm-hmm. audio visual it's you know what i'm saying it's like he he understands that whether it's you know with the, the soundtrack you know obviously the the the, the cinematography it's just uh, it's just him like playing with the form in a way that can only be played with in this medium and like he fundamentally understands that so it's like when he goes off and does whatever it's like it's just like watching somebody kind of paint you know what i mean i know it sounds pretentious but it just feels that way it's like oh he's just sort of like okay now you do this now you do that now you do this and in certain ha- in, in in lesser hands that would annoy the fuck out of me because i've seen it you know, from lesser filmmakers do this type of thing. And I'm like, it, I'm out. But when certain kind of filmmakers, I kind of just like, I accept it. I mean, like Lynch is one of those people who people just accept him doing, you know, weird right. abstract shit. Right. And I feel like uh Refn's kind of there, but Refn is different because I feel like Refn is more, 
he's he's interesting because it feels like he embraces sort of uh the sort of like more pop culture kind of zeitgeisty kind of like you know just more your typical like i don't know like low brow kind of or middle brow sort of shit like reffin doesn't seem to run from that he seems to like embrace that shit you know what i mean as as i feel like lynch is more sort of like he's a little bit more of a like i don't know if you want to call him a snob i don't really want to call him a snob necessarily but but lynch just has that sense of like i'm doing important art and i feel like i feel like reffin feels like he's doing important art probably most likely but i get the sense that like he's also like i'm having fun you know what I mean? Like, and this should, this should, I think especially now. Yeah. I, he, yeah. I mean, <clears throat> he's working with his, he's making like the Kevin Smith move of just working with his family almost primarily. I, did you watch his um, Prada short film, by the way, that dropped a couple of days after? Cause I, I just tried to watch the entire thing right before the show, but there's no rewind. There's no fast. They don't tell you how long it is. No one's uploaded it to YouTube. Yeah. 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 I haven't watched and, it at uh, all. <laughs> it's just his uh his wife walking around a room and then you cut over to his daughter and the daughter is the rival in copenhagen cowboy um yeah no i he, i think the thing is first of all there's two two different dynamics here which is that with a refin movie or tv show i think you are open to a certain kind of mystery you know he dabbles in story minimal Can't hear you. I can't hear you. <laughs> we got to cut out. Uh, can you hear me now? I can hear you now. Yeah, you just okay. dropped. What, yeah, yeah. what was the last thing you, you got from you, me? You said ref and he dabbles in and then it dropped. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. Uh, here's what it is. My my internet is unstable at the moment, so that might be... It's all good. That it happens. happens. Just hit pause or something. <laughs> um, yeah, you're good. I, I think that ref uh something you accept with a ref in movie or TV show is just that there's going to be a certain amount of mystery to it. And he dabbles certainly in story minimalism, which you see in drive mm -hmm. where he stripped down the screenplay and kind of just completely ignored the novel from, from James Salas. Yeah. And, um, I, I think if you had someone else, even if it was like a very technically competent auteur, like a Lars von Trier, where they're just kind of making up things as they went along, you can see that I think, much easier because he doesn't lean so heavily on the visuals as a filmmaker the way that that Refn does. Yeah. So, um, to to what I was saying before. Oh yeah. So also with touch of crude, um, and he also did another short film as well. He's one of these perfect guys that you can mm -hmm. employ for like a product campaign, or uh, you know mm -hmm. they just got I think Gaspar in the way for for Saint Laurent. You yeah. Know, he did oh, yeah. a short. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you can you can jump in in these different um, styles, and I think he just kind of molds to it so easily. So mm -hmm. even with the TV show, he makes it his, and it feels the same as a as a film. And I don't think a lot of people are capable of that. Yeah, and it's entirely because he's aesthetically driven. Exactly, exactly. He's so aesthetically driven, and that's why I say like he's my favorite aesthetic, like like director. You know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. like he's not my favorite director, but he's my favorite aesthetically. Like, you know what I mean? Like working now, you know what I mean? Uh, I mean, there's other directors who I would put above him in terms of like, oh, I'm going to see this person's movie. But like Refn's aesthetics are always like, he's so driven by style. You know what I mean? Like that, that, that it's always going to be something um, worth at least viewing from that, <laughs> just yeah. for that alone. You know what I mean? Like 
even if it's surface level uh it's just it's just it's just interesting like it's funny that you mentioned his wife being uh because she was in bleeder and she's like right. what's the only movie that i think i that think she, that's how they met yeah i had yeah. met i met on bleeder um and i know did you see the documentary she did for, uh with uh what it was about the There's... making of only god forgives or whatever uh, my life directed by Nicholas Winding. Reference, yes, yeah, I, yeah. I watched that, and then yeah. there's a documentary from around the same time when Fear X bombed. Uh, oh yeah, yeah. Have you seen that? No, 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 no. But that's one of those ones I've been meaning to check out because uh, it's I, on I, the. Um, it, there's a pusher DVD that was released in the United States yeah. maybe about 15 years ago. It's a special feature on there, and it's terrific. Um, oh shit! And it just explore it, like it details the entire process of him being like, ah, oh, fuck, I got to make all this money back. I'm, I'm I've seen that. No, 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 I've seen that. I've seen that because he's like the whole time he's, he hasn't even finished the script and they're like waiting for him to finish the script. And he's like, he's talking about how like pusher was a success, but now my other movies were fucking. Now I have to come back. I bombed mm -hmm. citizen X was bad. Now I have to make two pusher movies. Yeah. Yeah. I remember watching. Yeah, I did yeah. see that. Yeah. I remember watching that. That's a very, that's a good documentary. It's a fascinating one too. Cause it's, it's just like seeing, showing him at a certain point in his career. Uh, mm -hmm. Like where it's like, Oh shit. Like, he really, he really made Pusher two and three because he had to get himself some money and get get out, try to get himself out of director jail, more or less. Yeah. You know what I mean? For 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 making. Uh... They were gonna do um. They were gonna do a fourth one too. Mm. There's a uh, there's an Arab actor that's in Pusher three who was gonna be the star of the fourth Pusher, and I think he got arrested or something, and so it shut down oh, the, the pre-production or everything that was set to go with that, and so now it's. Yeah. Pusher trilogy instead. Also, I, I I heard for for Copenhagen Cowboy when he originally came up with the idea for the series, the Mew character was supposed to be Mads's character from Valhalla Rising. Did you happen to catch that? Yeah, One Eye. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's my that's my my favorite. Like Reffin is still is still Valhalla Rising. Um, uh, I think that Valhalla Rising is 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 upon us I, I remember it coming out and i remember like it didn't it had like that lukewarm reception but like i i, I feel like that movie's aged so well like um it's one of those movies where i don't know if you've seen it recently but like it's one of those movies that like you return to it and you're and you just realize like oh holy shit like this is like well thought out <laughs> like you know what i mean like mm -hmm. like in a way that like you don't kind of think because it's ref and you're like no no like this is like a really well thought out movie um and what it's doing, like in terms of like, because I know he wrote it. In, he wrote it with a guy um, who's also a, a writer, but the guy is known for writing sort of stuff about like that period specifically. And like, mm -hmm. uh, and that that's one thing that I noticed about it the last time I watched it was sort of uh, uh, its attention to sort of detail, like in terms of like there's not a lot of dialogue in that movie, but when the dialogue is said, it's like pretty pretty good like it's pretty good like it's, i'm like i was really su surprised to come back to valhalla like the last time i went and i was like yeah this is like really this is like really good this is like probably his best movie i <laughs> you know what i mean like, I, I don't know if i would agree with that but yeah, do you, what do you think is his least uh least great movie i would have to go i would have to go with the uh, neon demon probably oh um, really i like neon demon though like, but I used to think that only God forgives was, but then that kind of grew on me. Like, you know what I mean? Like that happens to people. Yeah. Yeah. I, yeah. Yeah. I have a friend who detested that film yeah. for so long and hated Reffin, thought Reffin was super pretentious. And then for some reason, inexplicably 
loved Too Old to Die Young, and then went back to back, Only God Forgives and had the palette for that movie yeah. as a result of that. Yeah, um, I, I it was it's, similar. It's an interesting one. <laughs> What's your favorite reffin? Oh, my favorite reffin. That that's kind of tough. Um, it might be. It might just be the original Pusher. It might be Pusher, Pusher Two. Pusher Two. Um, Pusher Two would. I would put Pusher Two above Pusher. But mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, Pusher's up there. Uh, I also really like Bronson a lot still. I still think Bronson is, uh, I feel like Tom Hardy and, and Reffin were a good, were a good pairing. I wish they would do something together again. Yeah, Tom Hardy <laughs> needs something, I yeah. think, just interesting to right. do as an actor. What, yeah. what, I mean, what, what has he really been up to? I know he did that Al Capone movie with uh, oh, oh, Josh with Trank. Josh Trank. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I heard, yeah, yeah. I never watched that. Um, but yeah, I've heard things about the Josh Trank. Uh, it has a score by LP <laughs> yeah. uh, from Run the Jewels. Um, for those who don't know, uh, <laughs> uh, under underground underground producer rapper legend LP. Um, yeah, uh, it's interesting because I look at Refn as as one of those like when you when you hear him talk, he is very pretentious. That is one thing. Like in mm -hmm. Refn is, and I feel like it takes. I don't know if to be a, a filmmaker of worth, I feel like you do kind of a little bit have to have a, a high sense of self. You of know what course, I mean? Like, yeah. I feel like that's just a requirement, right? Like you have to sort of like believe in yourself to a certain degree um, to, to let, because there's a lot of just, in my experience, there are so many fucking people in Hollywood that are going to be like trying to tell you, you can't do some shit. You know what I mean? So they have the ability to muster up the balls to not only make a movie, but then sort of walk into these fucking rooms and every time they try to convince you or throw shit at you to tell you, you can't do it that way. You're like, no, fuck you. I'm going to do it my way. Like that takes a certain personality type. You know what I mean? Like most people that I know that get into film, like what happens to them is they make something, it gets their foot in the door. Maybe they get, they get, they get, they get a, an opportunity. You know what I mean? To make some, some, something real. And immediately once they, they get any sort of pushback from these people with money, they start to acquiesce. And and they then they just become they just become subsumed by the machine like you know what I mean like yeah. where it's like you see that with tons of directors that go get a Disney gig yeah right yeah so that's that's what the MCU movies are <laughs> you know what I'm saying that's what the MCU it's movies a sterilization are sterilization machine exactly and it's like if you can fit into that then it kind of says it's an indictment of you almost as a filmmaker you know what I mean like it really is because they don't want to work with uh, people who aren't you know uh, willing to play ball. Like, you right. know what I mean? Like, you got to really be, you know, uh, willing to sort of, you know, kiss the rings and necessary uh, to get to 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 make movies that in those machines specifically. You know what I mean? Like, there's not a lot of, you know, that's why I do. I don't really like uh, filmmakers like there's certain filmmakers who I don't like, but I respect like or I don't like is too strong of a word. Uh, there's filmmakers who I'm not like that warm on. Like, I'm not really that warm on uh, uh, Robert Eggers. Right. Like, yeah. But but I respect that he hasn't took a Marvel movie, you know what I mean? Because he could. I feel the same way with with him and yeah. Ari Aster. The uh, Ari, Ari Aster is the same. Yeah, yeah, the same way. I feel the same way about him too. Where it's like, um, and I do think that um, the 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 strange thing about the Johnsons is the best thing he's ever done. But uh, <laughs> I feel like I just saw that lead actor in a cruise commercial or something. Recently. Oh, that's funny to see him in anything post that is funny. <laughs> uh, uh, but, but I, I respect Ari Aster for making that um, troll movie. Uh, I think that was like his AFI thesis film, but, uh, but, mm -hmm. uh, <laughs> 
uh, I, you know, I, I, I liked Hereditary for what it was, I guess. Um, I feel like, and I, and I'm not midsummer. I'm kind of like, all right, you know, I kind of, yeah. I, the thing with his movies is mm. I like them when I'm yeah. watching them and I like them mm. about five days after. And then about 40 days later, I'm like, oh, I don't think that was that good actually. I don't but I will say this is. though. The fact that you thinking about it 40 days later is sort of a good thing because I feel like sure. the majority of shit that we see that, and I'm at least I, I at least I see like I feel like it's just you see it and you completely next day it's gone it's out of your it's out of your brain you know what I mean it's not yeah you know it's 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 yeah because and that goes back to what I was saying about certain filmmakers who have to have a certain high high opinion of themselves and their work like Reffin guys like that women like that whatever to not to to, to be gender neutral <laughs> mm -hmm. uh like filmmakers I actually, like actually i think it comes to to a point you were mm -hmm. making earlier which is that um you know i feel like the western market what the western taste bud is right mm -hmm. now for cinema is this sort of like over explained we're going to detail everything we're going to catalog the entire film for you so you easily understand it and refin goes in the face of that and that seems to be exclusively really an American thing, maybe just Western thing, mm -hmm. right? I don't know if that's necessarily the case where you're not, um, you're more willing to accept some unexplained aspects of the film. I think maybe what those guys touch on, what Ari Aster or Robert Eggers uh, get into a little bit is maybe we're not going to explore just micro aspects here, which is something that I think was uh, much more common in films of the late 20th century. Because when you leave those pockets of unexplained, you're making your film more interesting. You're giving th people things to think about for a little right. bit of time. And, um, you know, Jason Blum with Blumhouse, I think, is the biggest criminal as far as this goes, where you can watch a paranormal activity movie and you will get seven sequels that explain why there are ghosts in the home, how the ghosts exist, how they materialize. There's a witch's call. And it's just like, it's so boring. I would, um, I, but, I, will, I, will, yeah. I will protect, I will protect my, 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 my friends who are screenwriters who I've, who I talk shit about Blumhouse with all the time because uh, they probably, I don't know what their relationship is with Jason Blum, but I talk about how like Blumhouse specifically, like how he's ran that, that thing into the ground. Like mm -hmm. we're like, you know, he had the success of get out. Right. Like, and get out was like that big sort of like thing. One of, one of the, one of the few movies, I mean, he's had, they had other big movies, but that's one of the big notable ones. Right. Like right. that, like, that's the but prestige film. The prestige, Blumhouse. yeah, you know what I mean? And, and and sort of like he had these series of big notable films that he put out, right? And then at a certain point, like for the least the past five years, he's been coasting off of the Halloween franchise. And mm -hmm. what I mean by coasting is he under Jason Blum understood, like, well, now we have Halloween finally, and we got these three fucking movies. So I can release a whole bunch of bullshit, like, and just coast. Because I know that that one Halloween is going to drop, and regardless, people are going to watch it, and it's gonna it's gonna have that sort of social currency, and it's gonna keep Bloomhouse as a brand relevant. And now that he's out of those films, like now it's like now what? Now you've got because all he's been doing is sort of like, if you notice, like a lot of the people that like make Bloomhouse movies uh, now are sort of like I, I call them like they're like talentless identitarians. Like, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, like yeah, there's yeah. like, I'm an identity and duh, but it's like, all right, great. But like, are you good? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, and it's like, no, like, like a lot of these people and Jason Blum, is, he's not unique in this regard because Hollywood is very big on that. Like they're very big on this, you know, um, 
and, and it's, it's going to backfire. It's going to backfire. And it's already sort of kind of has, but it's, what's going to suck is like, ultimately as, as it starts to, as we reach the end of this sort of like push the heavy push for diverse by, by diversity behind the scene, behind the camera. Right. What's going to happen is there's going to be a reset and what they'll do is it will fuck, it will fuck it up for so many people. Right. Because they'll say, okay, guess what guys, we tried all of that shit. No one liked none of that shit. So now it's over for all of y'all <laughs> back to just how we were doing before. Like, and so now like, it's like, as opposed to like looking for diverse, talented filmmakers who like happen to, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like there are plenty of voices from uh, marginal, you know, people that fall under certain marginal groups who are actually good, mm. like, but they're not picking those people. You know what I'm saying? They're, they're yeah. sort of picking people who, who sort of, again, who under who know how to play the game. Like mm. they're picking people who know how to play the game. They're picking the Lena Waifs. And, and I don't mean her specifically for Blumhouse, but in general, like Lena Waif, I, you know, she's not, I mean, she's not good. Like, you know, so <laughs> I mean, like in terms of like, she's just objectively not good. And, and, but she's not alone. I don't want to sing. I won't sing out a woman. Like, I don't really think Kenya Barris is good. I met him once in LA at Netflix, I shook his hand, you know, guy had a fucking Maybach outside with a driver waiting for him. And, you know, he seemed like a, a, a all right guy, but like, I've read, I know what he meant. I'm like, it's not good. But again, I mean, to be fair, I mean, they throw hundreds of millions of dollars at, uh, what's the guy, uh, Ryan, uh, Murphy and he, Ryan Murphy, yeah. Ryan Murphy makes, he gets paid handsomely to make horrible shit so it's like whatever but the problem is that ryan murphy can do that and it's not going to affect like white dude filmmakers i mean even though white dude filmmakers are kind of like you know getting a little bit of bullshit because of the push by diversity but what's going to happen is it'll reset and it'll be fine for them but it will be fucked for like all the fucking xy you know what i mean that's what i see coming where it's just like okay so how are you guys you guys are basically going to fuck this up and then like now you're not going to be willing to actually look for people who who are making cool shit you know what I mean? So, yeah, fuck the system. I, I, I'm still wondering <laughs> how much longer this this train can continue. Uh, yeah. Because I mean, I, I feel like all these companies seemingly at the same time just started noticing their their financial uh, revenue drying up, right? Yeah. So Netflix is the big one, but also I think Warner Brothers restructuring their whole thing with um, Zasloff as as the the new CEO or president of of the company. I don't know. Um, what do you, how, how soon do you think we are to that, that reset? It's close, man. Cause that whole, like you said, that whole Warner brothers shit was a big, a big wake up call for a lot of people. Like, you know what I mean? Like they were like, fuck this, this Batgirl movie. It's done. Can't uh, believe they got <laughs> Batgirl. Like they had Michael Keaton, Brendan Fraser. They said, fuck, it, we don't said, fuck that is over. Like we're not even putting it out. Uh, that was a big wake up call. I do think that, you know, um, I don't know, like, you know, uh, you can't keep, but I mean, there'll be there'll be people like Cocaine Bear. I look at as a a, a movie that'll probably do good. But like again, it's 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 Elizabeth Banks directing it. Like uh, <laughs> maybe that'll breathe some more life into into it a little bit. But look, Elizabeth Banks did it. Like you know what I mean? Even though she's mm-hmm. like a rich actress who really didn't do it. Like really, she just hired a bunch of talented people and yeah. and like they did everything. <laughs> like that's what people don't understand too. Like. And this is why I appreciate filmmakers like Refn is because when a Refn gets on a set, Refn is legitimately crafting a movie, right? When Olivia Wilde steps on the set, she's not. Like, she's just got a, a cinematographer and an AD, hopefully a good AD that's doing a lot of the heavy lifting. Like, everybody's doing heavy lifting around these people. Like, that's what, that's what people don't understand. Like, when, when, when you see, like, actors specifically, I, she, was, she, she is an actor. But when you see these people in Hollywood, they're like hyphenates. Like, they're... It's like it's easy to be a hyphenate when you could just 
bring a whole bunch of people to do all that work for you. You know what I mean? It's easy to yeah, call your yeah. pass yourself off as a writer director when you have a writer doing pretty much the majority of the screenplay work for you. You know I thought what I mean? you were going to say the, the difference between Refn and Olivia Wilde directing is uh, one shows up to set and address and, and the other probably doesn't. Refn, uh, have yeah, you ever right. seen Refn directing? <laughs> yeah, Refn wears, wears a, a dress. Yeah, with the little fucking... Refn actually wears a dress. Yeah, maybe she should take pointers. But uh, <laughs> it, it's just, again, like I respect filmmakers who who literally will get in the position um, where they have some heat or they have sort of, and they'll use it. Like, you know, most of these people, they're just so happy to be here. You know what I mean? Like, they're, I'm just so happy to be here. Like that they don't, they'll just accept anything. Like they don't, yeah, they don't I hate that mentality of like, yeah. I just like working on a film set. I, I, I fucking hate it. That's better than any, anywhere <laughs> yeah. else. Like, what? No, I, you, I, you I, should be actively trying to make like a piece of art here. You yeah. know, this, this yeah. is business. This is yeah. I've, I've, I've been on film sets and I'm like uh, in the capacity of like, I'm there as an actor's writer. Like, you know what I mean? Like, mm -hmm. like I've been on film sets cause I have a working relationship and I've said this fucking too much, but fuck it. Who cares? I have a working relationship with the actor Tyrese Gibson. Right. So there've right. been times when I would go to set for him specifically because he wants to do something with his character or whatever. Right. I hate being there a lot of times because I feel like, why am I here? You know what I mean? Like in terms of like, I don't hate necessarily uh, like being paid to do a certain thing. Like, okay, like help me fix this. Okay. I can do that. But like, if I'm on set and I'm just walking around and I'm talking to the other people, the director, the actors, I'm like, hi, hi. I'm still perceived as like this guy who's like a fifth wheel almost like, you know what I mean? Like I'm the actress sure. writer. Like, you know, I don't like, I don't like, why am I here? And like, you know what I mean? Like I fucking don't want to be on a set unless it's like my set. Like usually, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? Like, I, or, or at least I'm contributing in a way that I feel like my presence is warranted. Like, but see, Hollywood isn't like that. Hollywood is like, look, people love, the people in Holly, that it, Hollywood attracts are people that just want to be there. Like, you know what I mean? They're like, I'm so happy to be around these people. And I'm like, clearly you haven't spent enough time with these people. Because if you spend enough time with these people, like, you don't like... <laughs> They're not real people. Yeah. You're like, I don't want to be around these fucking people all the time. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I just don't like, and I feel like you can tell how close people are to it. You know what I'm saying? Like when, when they have that type of attitude, even people who have successful careers, uh, cause there's some people who I'm like, Oh yeah, you have a pretty decent track record. You make money doing this. You're part of the writer's guild and, uh, you make, you have made movies, but then like you listen to them talk and you're like, Oh, like you're like, you have stars in your eyes. Oh, like they must like keep you at a distance. Like, you know what I mean? They must, you must have like, oh, here, you're the writer guy. Shut the fuck up and go over there. You know what I mean? Like, uh, cause most of them will just accept that. Like, they're just, you know, so happy to be like the sort of, you know, in the mix as they perceive it, you know? And it's like at a certain point, like if you're, if you, if you're, if you're really interacting with these people in any sort of meaningful way and you're not just like them, then you're going to, it's going to, you're going to be like, why am I like, why? I think it's exhausting. <laughs> I can only deal if I'm working on something that isn't mine. I can do like four hours before I'm just like I can't even speak that speak in general. I, I I will just remain. I'll be mute. Um, but speaking of of you know directors turned actors, how do you feel about uh, ref and acting in in Copenhagen? <laughs> well, if you want to acting. if you want to call it acting, he's literally <laughs> just sitting there. He doesn't even have a line. Yeah. He's just kind of. Uh, I, I thought that I thought that was funny. Uh, uh, mm -hmm. I thought in, in the uh, the Kojima uh, cameo as well. Oh, yes. yeah. yeah <laughs> At the very end, yeah. like, uh, go see the Giants, whatever the fuck that means. Uh, uh, I guess we'll have to find out in Copenhagen uh, 
season two. Did, if, you, if, did you like that uh, Kojima's background was just basically whatever like default <laughs> Zoom setting for city uh, it was? It was so cheap. It was so just like yeah, all right, yeah. yeah, just go sit with like yeah, just go sit over here and, fucking, yeah. and yeah, yeah, just he probably didn't show up. He probably did that in his home. Well, he said he did. He said he oh, showed really? up. Yeah, they wow. said they set it up like a little Zoom thing, and like he was on because Kojima has a podcast. Uh, yeah, I, I listened to his interview with Refn, and it seems yeah. like, how do you, I mean, this is very interesting that there's like a friendship that developed here when you can't speak a, like a shared language. Yeah. You know, uh, so he's just talking with a translator in the middle who's like translating Kojima to Refn and then Refn back to Kojima. And it's just, I don't know. It was a very interesting exchange. Yeah. I mean, Kojima's interesting. He's, Kojima's interesting just because like he's this guy who just makes like these big ass video games and like mm -hmm. he's like loves like film and just pop culture like and uh it's just very interesting but again like it kind of speaks to this idea of what I was saying before with with like a lot of people in Hollywood are Hollywood adjacent right like because I mean Kojima's in the video game world and he's in Japan but like a lot of these people they just like kind of like love it in a way where they just like love to be around these people. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and yeah, I'm not, yeah. I'm, I'm not saying like, yo, so if I met a filmmaker who was actually fucking interesting, that'd be great. You know what I'm saying? Or filmmakers probably more likely are if they're like indie filmmakers, you know, people like yourself who are doing things by yourself are like filmmakers who are typically, um, not only outside the studio system, but outside of America. Like, I feel yeah. like those type of filmmakers are a little bit probably the chances of them being more interesting people. Uh, but like, I feel like most, most directors who are working in the studio system, the majority of them are sort of just hacks. Like, you know what I mean? They're like, they're like director. I can put this, I, you can put me on any movie and you're not going to make any, you're not going to be able to tell. Like, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, like yeah. I can, they love I'm, those guys. Yeah. They that's love their them. day job. Yeah. That's, yeah. How, that's yeah. how they stay afloat. So they, I yeah. mean, they're, they're useful. To these corporations and any company and mm -hmm. yeah you you need those guys if you're going to be producing generic shit essentially. And, and 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 to to go off on a movie that i just saw recently um because i feel like i just get it i don't know man i don't know about you but i just get annoyed at like the like the discourse about the discourse about anything really but the discourse about film is like kind of super annoying like that movie mm -hmm. i watched skin of a rink right and mm -hmm. um okay i the, the name of that movie. So a friend of mine said, "Hey, you know what movie you'd really like is Skin and Rank." And just based off the title, I was like, "I'm never fucking watching that, dude." I want you to watch it because this is what I want you to watch it for, right? It's not. Be it's gonna bore the fuck out of you, one, right? But 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 I want you to watch it for this. Okay, so the the filmmaker said that he made this movie for 15k. I'm telling you, that 15k is either a a straight up lie. Right. Or it's a lie or that 15 K is being spent elsewhere that I have no, I don't know where it's being spent and I don't know what it's being spent on, but it's not being spent on the actual production of the movie because the movie, cause you've made a movie, you know, you've, 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 you've made a movie. You, you have a movie, a uh, mass state lottery that's coming out. Right. Yes. Yes. So, which is not 15. It was, that was about 12 K of, of my, so, so your movie just based on the trailer alone, right. You've, you're doing way more actual filmmaking. So, so what this filmmaker has done, right, is, is, and again, I guess the guy had a YouTube page called Nightmares or something where like he would recreate nightmares like that he had and then other people had, like he would like make little shorts or whatever and he, it was never really popular, but like 
that's the guy who made this. And, th- and it makes kind of sense because the movie sort of feels like that kind of has a kind of nightmarish kind of quality to it. But the whole movie consists of the camera inside of one house, one house, right? Never, no exteriors, one house, just one location. And the camera's always looking up at, in the corner. It's looking at the wall. It's looking at the floor with Legos on the floor. It's looking at a TV. It's looking at a door. And, and then the actors, is four actors, if you even want to call them four actors. There's two kids, and there's a, post, there's a woman and man who are supposed to be the mother and father. Now, you never ever once in the movie see the actors say a line of dialogue, like mouse moving on screen and di- mice coming out. Now, they, they do have dialogue, but usually when you hear it, it's either completely ADR, like off screen, right? Or it's the camera's looking at the kid's feet, and you hear them talking. So I'm like, in my mind, who's I've made shit, I'm looking at this movie, right? And I'm like, there's no fucking way. Like, you can make this movie for no money. Like, the actors, you can shoot all of their scenes in one day because it doesn't matter. Like, there's a scene where, like, the mom is sitting on a bed, like, dark, and it's color graded super dark. So they're like, mm. and then there's a dad sitting on another side of the bed. And then, like, you see them a couple of more times, and then the kid's feet running around. Like, all of that could be shot in one day. Like one day well, and they're gone. Yeah. Here's like, the thing. And I, I went on a rant to uh, J. David Osborne, who I think you had on this show before. Yes, yes. LB, right. Yes. Um, I just kind of sent him a block paragraph to some message he sent me like a week ago last <laughs> night. And I was trying to explain to him where all the money goes because mm-hmm. people make this mistake time and time again. Mm-hmm. Why I don't disbelieve that that movie was 15K is if it was a union production. It wasn't. It wasn't. Then no. they were lying. No, right. it's not a union. It's not. <laughs> it's no, no, that's what I'm saying. Like um, I'm, I'm, it's yeah. not. It's not a union production. This guy made this movie by himself. So what happened was this guy made this movie. He had his YouTube page. He was doing these nightmare things. He decided, oh, I can just replicate that and make this into a feature. Which it's an hour and forty minutes. It doesn't need to be an hour and forty minutes. It's kids in a house, you know, and and you don't ever see like you really don't ever see them. It's all. It's all. The sound design is doing the heavy lifting and they're putting and it's putting a like again like I could shoot this I can replicate this with my my fucking phone I could shoot all the same shit and then put the stupid ass faux grain over the filter over it I can fucking use magic bullet or whatever I can replicate this movie and it will cost me no money like you know what I mean so this idea that like the, the dude made it right then he submitted it to Fantasia and like and in Fantasia apparently like it's three people saw it. The first two people saw it. They were like, it's not kind of, it's not right for us, for our segment. And then finally the the third woman that worked for Fantasia saw it, put it in the festival. They saw, he sold it to shutter. But my thing was like, if you sold this for 15 K, I feel like he told shutter that so that they could pay him around that much. <laughs> like, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like, well, I made it for 15 K. I'm, I'm really interested to see how much shutter gave him for the movie. You know what I'm saying? Like, I'm I'm really interested in that. Highball it a little bit more than that. I don't know if anybody asks. I didn't right. shoot Mass Day Live for 12k. I shot it for a hundred thousand dollars. <laughs> hundred thousand, one thousand, yeah, a hundred thousand. Uh, yeah, because but it's just interesting because I'm like, and apparently like, a lot of people were online like talking about this movie and trying to say it was like Blair Witch and I'm like, no, it's not. I've like, seen Blair. a lot of that too. Yeah, it's nothing like Blair Witch. Like it's it's and what I mean by that is one. Like they're like no because somebody somebody like literally a person I don't follow, like I posted my letterbox review of it, you know, gave it two stars, which in my opinion it's generous. I feel like two stars is fucking generous, uh, but they're like, you know, because people they have these weird attachments to the things they like. They feel like 
if if you dislike something they like, then somehow you're it's a you're passing judgment upon them as a you know whatever. Mm-hmm. But like, so this person, this random person, is like, oh, it's, they start doing that. They're like, it's like the Blair Witch. I'm like, no, it's not the Blair Witch. I was around when the Blair Witch was was out. Like, I remember when the Blair Witch came out. First of all, like the Blair Witch had immediate, immediate like it was part of the zeitgeist immediately. Like when it hit. I remember people going to see it that I knew going to see it. I'm gonna go see Blair Witch again. I saw it three times. It's fucking. It's real. It's real, dude. Like, you know, what I'm saying? like it's not like the, the, Blair Witch has a, the ending of Blair Witch shows a character staring at the wall. That's like one time in the Blair Witch. This movie, motherfuckers are staring at walls. Are we're staring at the wall the whole almost the whole movie? Like it's not the same. And then and then one of those like it's it's innovative. It's pushing the genre forward. I'm like you haven't watched this person's a noob. Like. Like you haven't watched enough cinema if you think that this like this is this is your definition of it. like you're not watching enough experimental shit or any like because like while yes, the choices that the filmmaker makes are not what you are used to seeing when it comes to traditional studio genre shit, fair enough. But if you think like this is cutting edge, I'm sorry, but like this is not. This is some guy who made this shit by himself. Shout to him for making it, but like let's the hyperbole is just it's the exaggeration of like the, what I'm, I'm watching this movie and i'm like this is just all spin and hype like you know what i mean just like when they yeah. spin they spin and hype all these horror movies that come out like every single one of they them do. Comes out. Yeah, there's there's two big problems mm-hmm. here and the first thing is that like we're in a period of time where people are especially generous to horror films mm-hmm. and they like to critically receive it as 90 plus percent on rotten tomatoes this is a big movie this is an important mm-hmm. movie and I think A24 is kind of to blame for that a little yeah. bit. I think Get Out is to blame for that a lot. Um, but it seems like people just want like the importance of horror movies to be maybe more than what it, what it actually is. The second thing is also, I think that most horror movie directors now love horror movies. Yeah. Big fans of horror movies. Watched every single classic horror movie 10 times over. And they absorb all of these like little tricks and visual whatever. Um, and then they repeat it back into the film, as opposed to you go back to the 70s or even 80s. A lot of these filmmakers and companies were either doing uh, horror movies to get their foot in the door, or yeah. they were embarrassed to be doing it, or they wanted to be like serious directors, a real director, like Wes Craven. Wes Craven. Do. Yeah, Wes Craven yeah. was always filled like he was in the ghetto. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like doing horror movies. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. like a lot of those, a lot of those guys were really like, okay, I'll do a horror movie, but like the goal was to get out of doing, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, even was, in the nineties, he did that Meryl Streep, uh, music film. I, fi- I forget what the title is, but he was still trying to escape what he was known for. Yeah. Toby Hooper might be another guy like that. I, I, I don't know. Um, but there was always this sense of the knowledge coming or the knowledge and the taste coming from somewhere other than the genre itself. So, and so you create this like endless repeating loop where everything's similar ish and it's maybe good for a second and then later on it falls apart well that's the thing that i've said i've said pretty pretty much the same thing to a lot of people but i'm always talking about this this horror horror fans specifically have horrible taste they do like i i know this because like i'm steeped in it because like the first one of the first scripts that ever got me like any any notice or got me to start like got me a manager in los angeles got me started to get was a horror script right so once you once you make your way in there doing one thing hollywood loves to pigeonhole you 
So and a plus, I was I was I watched all the fucking horror movies. I've watched all the same fucking movies, but I know how generous horror fans are. Like they have no, they don't have good taste. Like they they think like these movies that are like fucking like I don't know fucking movies. You can name name twenty horror movies, and you you of the twenty like you will be like okay like the majority of these are like not really good. But like when you hear horror fans talk about them, you're they're, they're talking about like the godfather or some shit like they're thinking they're talking you know like they speak about some of these movies like they're citizen kane and it's like okay i get that you love the genre like i get that like i have love for the genre but like i'm the difference between me and them is like i don't make watching horror movies my personality that's weird to me but like these people do but like there's a level of attachment to sort of like the genre and like the la horror circle is the worst like i i i like i've interacted with those people and when i lived in la I don't really have like a lot of those people. I just like, I'm like, I never want to deal with you ever, ever again. Like, like it's nothing personal. It's just like, I just, this circle of fucking just, they have like trivia nights that they get together with each other and shit. And like, you know, like, and this all the same fucking references. And they're all like, like when you watched, uh, I don't know if you've watched, uh, and I actually don't think I don't, I've met Joe Bigos. So I don't really want to think, I don't really have anything negative to say about him as a person. Um, I, I do think, I do think I do think that his last movie is not good, but but I will say this: I do think Joe Bigos has chops. You know what I'm saying? Which is more than I can say for a lot of his contemporaries. Like w- what I mean by that is like he's a director that has a skill set. Like he can operate a camera himself, which most most directors don't. Like he has an eye. You can tell like oh like this guy has an eye. Like he can kind of like he understands a little. It's just that the fact that like he makes he writes the movies himself. And shout out to him because I'm pretty sure that like people were telling him no the whole time and he still made his fucking movies anyways right like fuck you i'm gonna still make the movie so you got to give him props for that but I, I point to him because like when in that movie there's a fucking guy in the very opening of the movie who only the people in la know who he is this is guy mike mike williamson or some shit like whatever he's a guy in like an opening commercial that's like it's so insider it's so like that's that's our friend ho 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 like you know what i mean but no one gives a fuck about this guy you know what i mean like you guys do the the 60 people that are in the LA horror community or whoever many, like they love these motherfuckers, but then the movies that they make and the sort of the references, like I, like you were, like you're hitting at, which is this, like they love these movies and shit. Like they don't see how skewed their perspective is. Like, you know, they don't see how like up each other's ass they are. And it's like, and it's, it's reflective in the shit that they make. Like, you know what I mean? Like I always used to say, yo, it's great when you have an artist who's very like, who's very particular and has a unique point of view and perspective, but like, yeah, if it's a, if it's an original worldview, if it's not like this weird hive mind of like 65 people who all have the same, you're all, you know what I'm saying? It's like, they all have the same references. They're all pulling from the same sort of shit. So it's like, it's just, it's an, it's a homogenized version of what you see on a, on a bigger level. You know what I mean? Like, when outside of the little small like making Blumhouse lower budget movies to the guys who like graduated the James Wands who are making like the bigger ones who they know James Wan and they all kiss James ass and James never gives them jobs so it's just like it's this whole like that whole world of like like those people like when it comes to horror movies specifically like every time one of these movies comes out they get out and they all start championing it these movies like they're Again, the guy that was mad at me tweeted like, 
this is the most important horror film in the in the uh, in the last decade. I'm like, this tweet's not gonna age well, dog. Like, <laughs> like this movie is not the the most important horror movie in the last decade. Like, like you know what I mean? But that's the kind of shit that these people do. Like, I think the same thing. That new Hellraiser came out. There was bad. They they God, they made <laughs> they made it seem like it was. You know what I mean? Uh, uh, Prey, which is Prey, is fine. Like. It's Prey, uh, the, the nicest thing I'll say about Prey is it was uh, 30 times the movie that that Hellraiser was. Right, right. Like it's CW Hellraiser. Yeah, yeah. But here's the thing. Like, the Prey is fine, but, like, it didn't warrant the, – the hype was so – it was like it didn't warrant what mm -hmm. people were saying about it. Like, and, and, I, and when I would say, well, yeah, but it does – it is kind of shot, kind of pedestrian. And they're like, what do you mean? It's like, well, it does kind of look pedestrian. Like, you know what I mean? Like, look at a fucking movie set in that – specific like look at fucking uh last of the mohicans and and, and 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 then put it next to fucking prey and tell me that you don't see a difference hmm. like tell me you don't see a difference and then they'll then and then immediately they'll be like well you have to understand he was working with a budget and no, no 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 i'm like no either it's the greatest shit ever or it's not like you don't have to like you know if you don't have to fucking qualify like you know well you have to understand like no because it, it, either it's good or it or you're just like hyping the shit and that's every horror movie so this skin and movie is the same shit where it's just like people are hyping it up and they're saying it's like oh, da, da, da. and i'm like it's profitable and guess what i think the movie made like seven hundred thousand, you know which is good for the movie if they only if he only spent 15k and i'm sure they bought it for they probably bought it for around that from him you know what i mean yeah. like yeah, yeah so yeah. it's it's a they they won in that level because they tricked enough people to go out to make a profit but is is it gonna? Is I mean, Terrifier two made like ten tens of millions of dollars. Like and that's the budget a on that was what like thirty grand or twenty. Yeah, the budget of the first one was. I think the, I think they had like a hundred, a few hundred grand for the second one, maybe something like that. I want to say because I think the first one was lower, but then it was success mm -hmm. of the first one. They were able to generate more money for the second. So I'm pretty sure like Terrifier two, what the budget was under a million, and it definitely made millions of dollars. You know what I mean? But like that's one of those movies where it's like okay. That's legitimately a movie where you could be like, okay, that that's making legitimate noise. You know what I mean? That's 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 a legitimate like haul. And it feels like that movie wasn't even that movie wasn't even accepted by like the horror circles that way. Like they didn't want to accept it. The first one came out and they were like, who's this Damon Leone guy? Fuck him. Like it's a clown. Some people liked it, but there were still a lot of those people in that those circles. And I know some of these people, they're kind of like, yeah, it's a fucking clown movie or whatever, even though they like stupid shit like that all the time. But again, it's a guy from the outsider. So comes the second one, they can't now they're like, okay, like this is really making money. And I can't, it's kind of actually not bad. Okay, we're gonna give him props. But here's what's gonna happen with him. Uh now that he's made a movie that's profitable, significantly profitable, there he's gonna get the studio meeting shit. He's gonna get something set up, and he's gonna just get subsumed by the system. Like he, I, I hope he just, I hope that, I hope that he proves me wrong. Like I hope that he takes the clout from this and says, "Fuck you, give me the money to make my next original thing." But trust me, he'll probably be doing like Friday the Thirteenth or some shit. You know, some yeah, fucking franchise. I, it'll either be that, or yeah. uh, he will wind up maybe sabotaging his career in the system, which happened to Josh Robert Drake. David Mitchell, right? <laughs> they give you the big budget and yeah. then you do your kind of movie on their dime. Yeah. They don't know what to do with that. And then you're just not working anymore. And a lot of these guys get a taste of that and they don't want to go back to how they were doing it before, which is. Yeah. Know, because then, uh, because again, they get, they get that, that it's, it's alluring to be in these rooms. It's alluring to have the, to get those, that that attention and that that kind of payday, that kind of budget, and once they do that, they're like, "I'm not going back." 
Mm-hmm. And it's like, okay, so you were never in it for the shit anyway. So fuck it. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. that's the thing. So like at the end of the day, that's why I like filmmakers like Refin. Haha, tie it back to that's Copenhagen good, Cowboy. Good, right, right back. <laughs> yes. uh, now to, to talk a little bit more about it, because I do feel like I do want to talk about it because I do want people to, I definitely want people to watch it. I definitely feel like we've only touched the very opening of the movie. Or the show, it's not a movie, but it feels like a fucking movie. It might as well be a movie. It might as well be a movie. Um, I did, I did kind of like how, how as the story progresses, as you go through new episodes, it's it feels like it restarts almost. And what I mean by that is like because you're introduced to new characters, right? Like, like I believe when is the when does the the Asian like I don't know if you want to call him a, a fucking. Uh, triad leader i don't know what the fuck i don't know what he is uh, Asian... just the the character remake of the the, the thai cop from only god for <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah he's just throwing so many different elements from his own filmography together yeah uh, from my view anyway i i can definitely see there's a lot of only god forgives and neon demon and mm. obviously there's the pusher elements that are just natural with it being denmark and having those same actors yeah. and um you know, I guess even like a touch of drive, but I really do see like those main three is like Pusher, Neon Demon, Only God Forgives here in this. And it's got like a storybook kind of aspect to it. Um, one of my my pals explained to me, it's actually very clearly based on some like, I think Norse or whatever Christmas myth. I have no idea. I didn't even really, I should have read the text better. So I well, that's like, that's like what you said, you mentioned idea. one eye. I'm like, that's, 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 mm-hmm. Valhalla Rising is all of that. It's 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 literally like Norse mythology and and shit like that. Like one eye is Odin. Like literally, Odin has one eye and Odin in human form. And you can you watch that movie through. That's why I love it because you can watch that movie as a straightforward movie, but there's also where you can look at it from a straight up like, oh, like he is Odin. Like this is the death of the the time of the gods, and it and Christianity takes over. Literally, like. You know what I mean? Like when you have those 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 crusading knights, and then they they clash with the the natives, and it's like it's like this whole like it. it that's what that's what impressed me about it because I, I remember first watching it and I didn't catch any of that shit. <laughs> you know what I mean? And like now I come to like how did I miss all of this shit? Like, um, but yeah, I guess because I was just fucking retarded when I watched it. But but yeah, like at the it, in this this specifically it does it does it does play with myth? It does have a lot of that. It's there if you look. You know what I mean? Like all of that stuff is present in 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 Copenhagen Cowboy. If you look now, I do want to touch on not only uh, the different gangs that we inquire criminal underworlds, because you you have again, you have that underworld that runs the brothel, those uh, unidentifiable Eastern European guys who I don't know <laughs> who they are. And the, you have the the Asian group. But then you also have this other group that is in, I guess, is in Copenhagen, like that's more like street, like, I don't know, like they're, they're doing drug dealing. Obviously they had the one black character, uh, which if you didn't notice, I noticed in episode five, when, when they do the opening and it shows, it has the split screen and it's doing like the pan and at the bottom, yeah. it's like red, the top it's like blue or, or vice versa. It's like red, blue mm-hmm. on top. But like in this, they're showing these groups of gangs, right? There are people in there that we never see ever. Like, like there's a table full of like, like all black, they're all black people. And I think the guy in the middle is the guy who's the drug dealer. And then there's like women leaning on him. And then there's like, oh, these, these people we've never met. And then at the bottom, there's like these guys on motorcycles. And it's like, and then you catch like one or two characters that you did see, 
But like, it, I love that. Like, he's just like, oh yeah, there's like whole other worlds going on that like I'm just never ever gonna touch on. But I'm gonna give it to you one for one second, and then never never talk about the shit again. I love that, especially when we live in the MCU universe now. Like, we're like everything has to be explained. Like if you see a side character, then it's like, okay, well, guess what? That side character, he has a whole other spinoff franchise that, and we got to go down that shit. It's like, no, no. I'm going to introduce this to you once. And then I'm never going to talk about it ever again. And yeah, I love that about his version of like the Chicago gang in stranger <laughs> yeah. things. that pops up for an episode. <laughs> yeah. just setting up the fucking X-Men. The X yeah, yep. Turn into X-Men real quick. Yeah. 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 I actually, that's, that's props to stranger things for doing that. Like, cause because I could, but let me not say that because next thing I know, I'll hear the fucking Duffer brothers have a new Netflix. I think, I think they wanted it to be a thing and people just didn't, people just didn't like well. it. Yeah. 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 I, I think that that's probably exactly what happened. Um, They just were like, who the fuck are these people? With, with, no, we're like, get this out of here. Yeah. Uh, let me, let me uh, ask you something. So I feel like Refn goes through a style change or modification, maybe every three or four films. So you can take a look. He's almost like, a transgender filmmaker where he starts out <laughs> masculine and then gradually becomes because we like get four feminine. feminine. Yeah. 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 So now, but he, but now when he's like dabbling in these series, I feel like there's something a little, I mean, it, it does aesthetically flow with things like drive, but certainly neon demon. I think neon demon absolutely coalesces well with uh, this and too old to die young, but there seems to be, almost like a settling into what he's doing now. And I saw this also with Touch of Crude, his Prada short, where it's very mm. similar. Do you feel like um, there's any sort of style difference or aesthetic difference between what he's done with these series and where he left off as a filmmaker? Yeah, of course. Uh, as a yeah. director in films. Yeah, I, I've noticed. But what I notice about him is, is when he goes through the, like you see him, like at a, there's always like a point where you see him pick up a new thing and, and, and then like, kind of like that becomes his new obsession, but mm. you see like the, the older shit there. So it's like every, with every successive reference project, you're starting to see like all of the shit he was doing. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, you can trace, like, that's why it says it feels like a meld of all of the things. It's like, he's, he's adding the new elements with the old stuff that, he, you know what I mean? And it's like, so now you're seeing like all of the influences, like this movie feels like, or this series feels like Pusher meets Neon Demon meets only God forgives. It's like he's adding, it's like he's making a stew. You know what I mean? He just keeps adding new shit. Like he's like, okay, now I figured out this new spice that I'm, that I really like. So I'm really going to fucking, you know what I mean? That becomes the sort of flavor palette for this specific, but all the other shit's still there. You can see it. It's like, you can watch his progression in terms of like his obsessions about what he's into now in a way you see that that's very present in Copenhagen Cowboy. Um, it's interesting though, because just just from a standpoint of like i feel like one thing that i noticed about him and he said this himself is is and this is again goes back to sort of the type of filmmaker he he is and it might have been in that kojima thing and i think it was in that kojima podcast where he's like guys like us me and him and kojima he's like you just gotta like give us the money and just let us do us because there's no point in hiring me if you if if you're not just let me do me like this is what i do like, you know, that's what's refreshing about him. And that's what's refreshing about like his shit. And like you said, like you do notice the changes. You do notice sort of like I've noticed just sort of th this feels new um, in a way where it's like, yeah, you see a lot of similarities from his previous projects, whether it's the, the Amazon series and, you know, too old. You see some of that in this. You do. 
but you see also you see new shit like you see like he's try he's still trying new shit like he's still like evolving his style he's still making new choices in terms of like you know uh just the way he's presenting the story like i feel like i don't know like it does feel I don't know. It does feel the same. Like it does. I can. It, it it does feel the same in a lot of ways. Like in a way, it does kind of feel like only God forgives. Like you know what I mean. Like, but it also doesn't. Like I I, I don't know. Like there's something about like I don't know. You probably experienced this yourself because you make shit right, or and when you still specifically write right, like you find yourself sort of like you make a new thing, right? And it's like oh, this is totally different from the the, the last thing I did, right? And then you and then you make another thing and you're like oh, it's totally different from the last thing that I did. And then you look back and they're like, Oh, it's all the same shit. I've been yeah, telling yeah, the same yeah, fucking yeah. story the whole time. You know what I mean? Like, and I feel it's the same kind of thing. Like where it's like, you're yeah, it's new. It's different, but it does feel kind of like we're retreading um, um, the same kind I, I of territory. A, yeah. I think a big thing earlier in his career, especially when he started mm -hmm. to get more experimental with visuals and playlists with story driven filmmaking mm -hmm. and um, more aesthetics is he was always very hung up on David Lynch. I think you see that in Fear X, especially, yeah. where he's essentially trying to make a David Lynch film with his rhythm, uh, with his formula. And it didn't quite take, you know, it, it didn't work out. And I, I don't think it's a bad movie at all, Fear X, but it's it doesn't it, it's one of his films that feels least like him yeah it's it's, it's the one that's like the least reffin-esque yeah mm -hmm. yeah um it's interesting because i did just watch bleeder again and like um it's just interesting to watch that movie no like like and just see the sort of all of the all of the things that he was even even like you can tell like this was made by a guy who really its story is getting in the way like that's what bleeder felt like to me while returning to it it's like oh like this guy is, doesn't really want to do typical story shit. Like he's doing it, it. It looks like a regular kind of movie, but it's like even when you really like look at the plot of Bleeder, you're like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> like you know, what I mean? like it's like, oh, like this isn't like a filmmaker who's like, I need to do a, a, a movie that's uh, set in a crime world, a crime scene, and it needs to be straight. Like there's nothing about Bleeder. It's like it's following these different characters, right? One of, one of the things I noticed about bleeder coming back to it is when they introduce all the characters he does something that they tell you not to do in screenwriting specifically right like all the fucking hacks will tell you not to do this they'll be like never name a character uh with, with uh, names with the same letters because it's confusing every character in bleeder has the same it starts with the l like every single one he introduces leo lewis even the women it was like it's like every single one of them like it was like luis lewis Leo, uh, uh, I've turned on blanking on the other one. Like every single character has an L name, and like that—that's just like a weird, like, notice something that probably only I would notice. But like, but like, it's something that like, it just kind of shows you like this guy was from the very beginning was just eschewing any of that shit. Like he was like, and he was also very film literate because like one of the characters played by Mads Mikkelsen is pretty much him, which is the guy that works at the video store who's. Who's works as fucking and knows like all his all of his world is like movies 
Like he's just constantly, he's so fucking socially awkward. Doesn't even know how to interact with Refn's wife, which you can understand. Like, this is probably how they actually met. (laughs) 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 Like, like he only knows how he only cares about movies. And then meanwhile, this other guy has this whole other, you know, he, he's got his girlfriend pregnant, but he doesn't really want the baby. And like, like, you know what I mean? It's like this weird, it's just weird. Like these stories really don't even have any sort of, it's his Wong Kar Wai movie. Like this, it, 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 so I stole that from somebody, somebody I, who whoever was on the, on Letterbox. I saw them read that, and I was like, "You're right. This is leader is his Wong Kar Wai movie. Like it, it really is." But but it's just interesting to to see sort of like how that early Refn like had all of the makings of like what he like becomes like later on down the line after he does Drive. And it makes it puts him in a different space where it's like, oh, this this guy was doing it. He just didn't have access to the crews or the budgets yet, but he was already kind of there. Like he was already kind of f- almost fully formed. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I don't feel like Refn is not somebody to me who's like he was ramping up. Like, no, he was just kind of fully formed. Like he just didn't have the tools to play with that he has now. Right. And you know what I mean? Like, whereas opposed to like there are some filmmakers who you watch them sort of like hone their craft. I don't really think that's the case with Refn. Like, I really think like his limitations were primarily access to whatever he could get. You know what I mean? And this is a guy who had access because he was like born. And I mean, I think like Lars von Troy, it was like his friends with his father and tried to fuck his and, wife. Yeah, there's, there's a and bunch he, of weird yeah. connections in his family. Like I yeah. think his mother-in-law, somebody he's, maybe his aunt is Brigitte yeah. Nielsen, Sylvester Stallone's ex-wife, yeah. which mm. is uh, his nephew, I think it's his nephew, or maybe it's his cousin. Julian mm. Winding does the music on like everything he does mm. nowadays. I don't know. Was it Cliff Martinez or was it Julian Winding who did the music on Copenhagen Cowboy? It no, sounds no, no. very shining. Oh, I was I was scenes. literally listening. I was literally listening to uh because they have it on Spotify, um, mm-hmm. the Copenhagen Cowboys uh soundtrack. And I was surprised. It's not a lot of Cliff Martinez on here. Um, there's a couple, there's only like two. And the uh the main artist on this is uh let me let me literally pull it up. The main artist is this artist. Is it Julian? Uh, yep, it's Julian Winding. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Julian, Julian Winding, but like it's either it's Peter, Peter, it's Peter, Peter, and Julian Winding. Those are the majority. I don't. I've never heard of Peter, Peter before. I don't know who Peter, Peter, Peter Peter's is. His name. It's Peter, Peter, and Peter Kayed. But it's most. It's either him or it's either Peter, Peter, or Julian Winding doing the majority of all the tracks. And then there's like a couple of Cliff Martinez. Like, yeah, that's the 90% of this album is Peter, Peter and Julian Winding. So I don't know who Peter, Peter is, but yeah, Julian Winding, I'm, I guess his last name is Winding, like you said, yeah, yeah, <laughs> literally yeah. family members. Uh, uh, but yeah, he definitely is somebody who is not, he was born into a situation where, and I'm always, I'm always like, you know, I, I, I definitely grade Nepo babies like on a, on a different level where I'm like, well, you have to kind of like prove yourself already. <laughs> you know what I mean? But there are kids who, there are people who come who do have a legitimate, you know, talent, but you, you have to prove yourself. You know what I mean? Like, uh, and he's one of those people where it's like, okay, yeah, but also he's not from Hollywood. You know what I mean? Like, no, I mean, he's got an interesting backstory where mm. I don't even think he was raised in Denmark. He moved mm. into like a big, like house in New York city with his mom. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like I heard socialist, that. Socialist co- like female driven yeah. yeah. compound or something. I don't know. The whole backstory is very peculiar. It's interesting. I wonder how much of that is just like him just fucking with people too. Just lying to yeah. Like, well, you know, what? cause he was the type, he will just say some shit. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, but it's interesting. Like even the Lars shit where like, I know he's, he said shit about Lars. Like he doesn't fuck with Lars. Like uh, I love their, that, yeah, that's my yeah. favorite film rivalry. <laughs> I think there's, 
a little bit of real Lars hate tried there. to sleep with my wife <laughs> yeah yeah he's uh he was you know it all started i think when i believe uh Reffin's father was working as like an assistant editor or something for yeah. Lars von Trier and just I don't know he grew a distaste for him mm. through that and they had these you know spars back and forth around the time that Lars did his little uh Hitler joke at what was it <laughs> can or something yeah. that got uh Christmas during that melancholia melancholia run or whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah man what a great time between Lars showing up I think like the next year in a persona non grata and fucking Shia LaBeouf with a bag on his head <laughs> Man, what a great period of time. That seems like so long shit. ago after because we we live in like post-COVID or like the pen when the first pandemic hit. That feels like like we have to start really like demarcating. Like, you know how you used to do like AD and like BC? Like now mm-hmm. we have to do like like PC, <laughs> like yeah. post-COVID. Cause it feels like that feels like a totally different, like it feels like ages ago. And you know, it, it's and then Lars and I heard like I heard that like he's like done after he does. I think he's I think because his health, soon. right? Yeah. His health. He, I like, think he's got Parkinson's. You know, there yeah. was an interview that came out not long after House the Jack Built drop. I think it was like early 2020, where he was he was just doing the interview in a bathrobe and his hands were shaking throughout it. He looked really terrible. Yeah. And uh, he just dropped the Kingdom Exodus. We're, we're, it's we're all movie, weird right? Time. Yeah, yeah. We're in a yeah. weird time where all these auteurs are interested in doing their their miniseries, doing regular series I, uh, park chan wook did uh the little drummer girl with florence Pugh and and um michael shannon i wasn't a big fan of that i still haven't watched doing, that i did watch i watched decision to leave but i didn't i, I didn't see the, the what do you think of decision to leave i mean it's not my favorite park chan wook but 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 it kind of felt like an iPhone commercial a little bit, but yeah, but. yes, that's right. It, because he, it is an iPhone commercial. He did a fucking iPhone short film right before decision. But it's still 100%. in comparison. But in comparison mm-hmm. to the shit that we had, like, like it's still a like I would take this part, yeah. Chan Wu. Like even now, I'm like when they as their award season is upon us and they're rolling out all the shit. I'm like, I would give me this. Park Chan Wook over. I agree. I agree. I, mm-hmm. I still had it in my like top fifteen, I think, for the year. But yeah. it's not my favorite of his. Um, and he's doing, this is what I'm actually mm. interested in checking out. And I hope it's a mini series. I would have preferred it as a movie. Uh, he's doing an adaptation of the sympathizer with Robert Downey Jr. Robert Downey Jr. Seems to be back to that real would, acting now, which is, yeah, nice. that he's would be an like interesting, a, that would be an interesting collaboration. Robert Downey Jr. Mm-hmm. with Park Chan-wook because obviously everyone talks about, uh, Park Chan-wook's one foray into, into, uh, into fucking Hollywood with the fucking, uh, Stoker. Stoker. Now I'm of, I know people hate Stoker. I know like I view it as probably his weakest movie probably, but that being said, I kind of like think Stoker's like not as bad now as, as people like, I'm like, it's not. Yeah. It's like actually with it. Yeah. um, Yeah. It's like, it's, it's one of those things where I'm like, yeah, I get it. He's like directing American actors or English speaking actors specifically who Probably don't. There's a little bit of loss in translation, right. but you know there's what I mean. There. But I don't even know. I still feel like it kind of works, weirdly enough, because of the world that he's created. Like you know what I mean, where it's like everyone's sort of acting a certain kind of way. So it kind of like kind of like works. Like I still look at that, and I don't look at that as like a bad movie. I just look at it as it doesn't measure up to the shit that we know he can do. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like it do, it's not fucking old boy. It's not. You know what I mean? It's not. Right. It's not one of the greatest Korean movies ever. Like it's not that. Like it. 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 it but I mean, if someone else, like one of these fucking, 
Hollywood guys made fucking Stoker, we'd be like, oh shit. Like, I feel like Stoker is like some shit that Ari Oster would make. And we'd be like, that's pretty yes, good for if, Ari Oster. If, if Stoker was put out just as is, <laughs> yeah. like next year, yeah. it would be a It, it would be, be A24. People, uh, would be like, like, yeah. people would know how to react to like, oh, wait, so this is like an incesty kind of, what? What's going on here? <laughs> you know, they, it would be massive. That's, that's generally my sentiment. When I went to go see that back in 2013 when it came out, I was pretty disappointed. I was like, "What what happened here? Why why is this like this?" <laughs> and I've grown to uh, I've grown to appreciate and enjoy it. And I I agree. It's probably it's probably his worst movie. Um, but mm. no, actually, no. I don't even know if I would say that. I don't um, know either, honestly. I mean, I I watched uh, Joint Security uh, Area not that long ago, and I actually enjoyed it. Um, yeah. I put that lower. It's still a good movie, though. Like, you know Me what I mean? Too, I think, you know, the, the reaction to that is so strange because <sighs> that, I guess, was like a big commercial hit in Korea when it came yeah. out and it established him as a director. Um, and I, I get how that might be the case because it's kind of generic. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and you can tell us before he really got to be himself. You know what I mean? Right. Like, have you checked out any of his films from the, the 90s, like his early career uh, running gun movies? Ooh, I he think I've one. seen. Go ahead, go ahead. Uh, he didn't. Uh, his first one was "The Moon Is the Sun's Dream," which was in 1992, and it was kind of, uh, kind of like by the numbers. Like I, I fell in love with a gangster's girlfriend, and now we got to get out of here. Type what's of the movie. one with the What's the one with the cyborg? Uh, uh, oh, I'm a cyborg. I'm a cyborg. Okay. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I, there, I have very few. I think I have very few. Uh. Park Chan Wook blind spots. I've pretty much seen almost. There's only one that hasn't yeah. been released with subtitles, and it's yeah. called Trio, and it's like a rom com from the late '90s that I think has an action element to it. And I've seen pieces of it without subtitles, but there's been no. Yeah, that's one of those it. ones that's like trapped over there in South mm -hmm. Korea. You can't get it like a good yeah. copy. The first movie yeah. he did, uh, The Moon Is the Sun's Dream, I had to buy bootleg off of some like eBay seller who who copied the Korean disc, which didn't have English subtitles and then put English subtitles on, on it, it. for like 40 bucks. Yeah. Yeah. And, and now it's on fucking YouTube for free. So. Yeah. You, I thought that's awesome. It's on YouTube, but, but, yeah. but, but, uh, it's interesting. Cause like guys like him are, are, I don't know. Like they, there's something even squid game when squid game was like the, the, all the rage. Right. Like, uh, I was just like, Korean Koreans, I was like, oh, now Koreans do TV better too. Oh, like you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> like you know, they were doing movies better already, but it's like, oh, now they do TV better too. Because like, even that is like, while it's not like, I remember being engaged and watching it, and I haven't returned to Squid Game, but but I do feel like it was. I remember it being a stark contrast to sort of some of the shit that. Yeah, I I like Squid Game. A lot of yeah. people thought you know it was predictable or something. I was like, no, it's not predictable because no, no. you. I mean. <laughs> that ending might have been predictable in 1995, yeah. but now I was thinking they're going to kill the main guy. It's going to be the girl who lives. The girl's going to be the winner. Yeah, yeah, there'll yeah. be some like message, and he'll, he'll die nobly. And no, he lived. All right, great. Okay, everybody else is dead. Um, and Americans, on, and this is what I love day. about it. And this is kind mm -hmm. of the point of the. This was kind of the point of the of the fucking the guy the, the dude who made the show. And Korea's South Korea specifically. Is is basically let's be honest. Like South Korea is is what we would I guess what you would call a client state of the fucking United States. So there's a reason why this thing is about like this allegorical thing about like capitalism and shit, right? But like the people in 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 America were like so fucking upset that he 
would not like just leave with all the money. <laughs> like, why is he going back? It's like, you know what? That's that's why they made it. <laughs> like, you don't even see that. Like, you don't even want to see like you're so driven by money, like that, like the whole thing is a is a critique of the society that we live in, right? Especially that's it's from a South Korean perspective, but South Korea exists that way because of America, right? So, I mean, there's a whole fucking uh, I don't, I don't know. You probably don't listen to Blowout. I don't really listen to it that much either. But uh, uh, I believe they did an episode about the the Korean War and like how America played a fundamental like role in making sure that that shit didn't end well. Like in terms mm-hmm. of like there were they were at a point where North Korea and South Korea were going to come together and say fuck it. Like we're gonna we're gonna figure this out. We're gonna squash this. We're gonna become one Korea. And America was like, nah, no, uh, this doesn't, that doesn't work for our interest. And they made sure that that shit ended up being the way it exists today, which is you have a DMZ and you have a divided side. You have North Korea over here, fucking segregated by themselves, and then you've got fucking South Korea, which is you know booming economically because you know America's allowing them to do so. So yeah. it's just very interesting, like that, like people who would watch Squid Game and don't not see that it's an indictment of sort of like the society we live under and then have the fucking uh the the opinion like oh i can't believe he should why did he just not fucking leave with all that fucking money it's like yeah that's the point <laughs> that's kind of the point the point is like yeah he made a choice that you wouldn't make and that's why squid game is a thing but yeah right right <laughs> yeah i mean at the same time, so I do think that, like, the big boom of, um, you know, Koreans making great films was more of a stretch of, like, 2000 to about 2012. I think everyone's hopping on late because of Parasite. But if you take a look at a lot of what's being produced over there, it's, like, very kind of just silly, generic shit. And then we get the good stuff. They filter yeah, all that true. out. It, yeah, there's yeah. no taste for that, really. At the moment, there could be. <laughs> You yeah. know, with how like Netflix recommendations go, who knows? But um, you know, we'll get like the three or four good movies or something that really stand out. Um, I, I checked out a bunch of like random Korean films that were produced by Warner Brothers uh, mm. when I went in 2018. So I was watching like some eating competition or arm wrestling competition <laughs> thing, and it started a guy who pops up in the background of a bunch of Korean movies. And then there was one that was kind of interesting. It was high budget, and it was called mm. The Witch. Mm-hmm. part one the subversion uh which was kind of like a fantasy horror actiony movie and part mm-hmm. two i was like there's no part two and then finally part two dropped like a month ago or something and then um they did a, a remake of um damn it what was it called it was the fucking shit there's an anime there's an anime and uh it's very popular and it's like a, a nazi guy in a metallic outfit and he's got glowing red eyes and oh okay yeah i, think I know i know the image you know the image uh, yeah, yeah. Wolf, Wolf, Wolf Brigade, Brigade oh, yeah, I think yeah, it was called. Yeah. something like that. They did, they did a version of that live action, and uh, had a high budget. It looked super cool, and it was. Is that the one that I? Is that the one that I watched? Wait a minute. Is it the one where there? It's on a boat. On a boat. Uh, I don't. I, I don't. I don't know. There's this one I watched that was a Korean movie. Um, I think it was, J. J. David Osborne was asking me for subtitles for it, and I sent him to it. Uh, it's like Project Wolf Hunting or some shit. Mm-hmm. No, that's what it's I, called. I don't think so. No, it might uh, not be it, but this, there, there was a Korean movie called Project Wolf Hunting, which is like some insane fucking shit. Yeah. It's like Con Air on a boat. <laughs> like, uh, I'm sold. I love yeah, Con yeah. Air. The director <laughs> Con Air sent me a bunny in the mail because I just tweeted how much I love Con Air. That was just a random <laughs> thing that happened. That was pretty cool. I've got to remember, who's the director? Simon West? 
Yeah, Simon. Yes, yeah, because so I remember Scott Rosenberg is the guy who wrote the script. But yeah, Simon. Yes, okay, yeah. Connor. Uh, do you mind if I do something? I hate yeah, go when ahead. do this on podcast. I got to take a piss. So go, 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 right go, go right, ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Great. All right, I hit pause. Other coffee. So, I, I listen. I've been. I've been too. I'm. I'm surprised I haven't fucking went yet. <laughs> um, but to get back on uh, Copenhagen Cowboy again. <laughs> um, what did you think about the vampire shit though? Like, uh, uh, our fuck, fuck the fuck for the vampire shit. That family specifically, because mm-hmm. I don't think that needs to be talked about. Someone needs to talk about this weird ass, like, uh, family that's supposed to be. I don't know. Um, the father likes to talk about his dick a lot. Um, and his wife's pussy. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, and, then, and very just casually to guests, like, yes, my wife, her vagina is great. My penis, would you like to see it? It's just very casually just dropped. Like every, like, and then their son, I love, our, we love our son. This weird obsession with their son's dick. And then, of course, he gets ate by pigs. It gets bit off. It's so fucking bizarre. And it's it's par for the course with Refn at this point. You're like, you're like okay, I accept it. This is Refn shit. <laughs> yeah, one of my favorite quotes is when he's talking about his dick. He's like, you know, as, as, as a Chinese woman, you should appreciate the cultural importance of my dick. You know, when he's just going on about it, he's like, yeah, this is Revan. This is, this feels very Revan. I I quite like the uh, the actor who looks like a like a darker kind of like eviler Michael Pitt. You know, like weird Eastern European face. Evil like Michael Pitt. Hips. Yeah, that's that's yeah. pretty much yeah. Or like fucking uh, Fabio's evil evil oh, yeah. brother. Yeah, I kept calling that guy Fabio every every single time he came on screen. Um, it yeah he he's playing with he's always hung up on these family dynamics that are very unusual. Uh, and you see that obviously I think only God forgives is the most yeah. latent version yeah. of that where you have the mother talking about uh, Ryan Gosling's brother deceased brother's uh, dick size at the dinner mm-hmm. table to his prostitute girlfriend he brought to dinner and and it it kind of it permeates through a couple of different films these but beautiful hands but I don't know I think that might have been my favorite aspect of Copenhagen Cowboy is this family and the pig. Yeah, the pigs are the are pig weird. farm that they have, and then she has to go uh, buy a Mason pig. Mason from Hannibal, basically. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. Again, like it's just it, and then like and what I loved about and this is what I, and this is another aspect that I know I haven't heard anybody mention this right, but given that we live in the the era of Disney owning everything, right, and we uh, and we live in the era of like post the the Star Wars sort of initial run of new films right um and the reaction to ray right the reaction to the ray character being a mary sue right well i mean you could say mew is that too but it's cool like mew like because mew is unfuckwithable like let's be honest like you think that mew is like this tiny woman and she is she's this very tiny woman right but like once she's faced with adversity she never loses like never like and I don't care. Yeah. <laughs> like I'm like yes, yeah, it's, it's okay, it's fine. Like I, I, it doesn't bother me. As as when when the Ray shit, I'm like yes, yeah, it's kind of annoying. Like, but but for it just shows you that like you can do. I say this all the time. There is no fucking rules to any of this shit. You can do anything. It, any it's just how you do it. Like you know what I'm saying. Absolutely. You can have a character who's fucking basically is perfect in terms of like anytime they meet any opposition, they're able to sort of overcome it. Um. The, you're putting yourself in a, in a kind of a, a harder situation 
maybe narratively to make that sort of I think it helps that we don't know a whole lot about this it's mystery the mystery it's leaning on the mystery a lot because we don't know Mm -hmm. who she is we don't know what her capabilities are so every time she runs into somebody you're like oh wait a minute you know like could she get out of this and you're like oh of course she can get out of this like she's she's this other being she's like and again like even the moment where uh this was another ref and riff which was when she says um i was abducted by aliens when i was seven like apparently Reffin just was like on set and says, Hey, say I, you were abducted by aliens when you were seven. <laughs> <laughs> I fucking, I, just, I love it. Like, I, I don't know. I just, I just, I just fucking love it. Like it, <laughs> it it's so, I don't know. Like I, I don't, I can, I can articulate to you why it works for me. Like, you know what I mean? Um, I don't, I'm sure. I don't know how much I think it it's re- easier to articulate why it doesn't work for the other, other for well, the other way. Because, yeah. And they also bring a lot of baggage to that as this mm. big corporate entity creating something that's meant for like the, just your everyday movie viewer. Right. So mm. to have it uh, exist in, in this kind of form where you probably wouldn't expect that from ref and whatsoever, even though he's like very gung ho on, on, on women and, empowered women or whatever Mm. uh you know it doesn't really taint his work in a way where you think he's going to come at it in a predictable fashion Mm. you know even when uh you know you're watching too old to die young and you have like the cops like chanting pro-fascism stuff (laughs) uh, and it's like the most obvious political statement it's done in such like a cartoonish (laughs) and funny way that you're just like yeah all right fuck it yeah this is just part of this world yeah that would happen fine all right cool we'll we'll roll with it so i i don't think i don't know it's all about it's half expectation and i think half what the capability is and what the sensibilities are of the filmmaker yeah so and i think i think another thing and i I don't know you said that like you there was aspects of like too old to die young that just didn't kind of work for you and Mm. a big i think a big part of that is that sort of like that melding of like the ed brubaker with 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 Reffin, like you know what I mean? Like I feel like Ed Brubaker kind of has uh, a very specific kind of like more. I don't know. Like I do like Brubaker's shit. Like I do like you know some of the stuff he does in like Criminal and like the, the stuff he does in comics and shit. Um, yeah, he's not bad. But like I feel like he's more straightforward. Like you know what I mean? Like he does a certain kind of crime story, and 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 you could feel the, p- the push and pull of like. Brubaker's trying to do this one kind of thing that he does and then and, and, and reference and they're like, no, nah, make it weirder though. Like, like no, we're going to go weird. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I feel like there's a, there's a tension there in, in, in only God forgives at times uh, where ultimately I don't, I, I did, li- I do like it. I do, I do. And en- I did enjoy it the first time. And I feel like I enjoyed it more after. Um, but yeah, it's interesting to see how, how this will play out though at Netflix Will will yeah. this generate the kind of views necessary for for them to continue to do ref and shit? Are we going to hope? I, I hope I, so I'm too. Divided on it because I on don't one know hand, though. Yeah, it's hard it, to tell. It, it, I I think I don't know. I think I would almost prefer this just be a one off and, yeah. and them give him something else. Mm. Uh, but uh, it I want to see Anna and Dasha fight. No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, <laughs> but 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 i say that because like i know that like there's people talking about it but that what does that really mean like you twitter and even then it's like a very subs like like it's its own world over here like that that's talking about this this like i guess we fall into that group but sure but there's a whole group of people like 
I think I think uh, Netflix was on. Um, my mom was flipping through Netflix, and she was like, "What is that?" I'm like, "This COVID." She didn't know what it was. Like, she didn't fucking no idea. Like, what is a Copenhagen cowboy? Like, you know, average people, like our you know regular audiences and normies and shit. Like, they're I don't know. I don't know if it's resonating with them. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know if this is generating the type of you know uh, traffic that would warrant them to be like, mm, or is it going to be another situation like with Amazon? I think it depends on the budget, right? So yeah, I, you know. Uh, Actually, J. David Osborne, again, he asked me what mm. I thought the budget of the show was. I said maybe like 25, 15, 20, 25 million. I don't mm. know. It's hard to gauge. So it's got to make, it's got to justify its budget ultimately. Mm. And I think that's the big reason why. Think about things like Cowboy Bebop, right? Where right. the budget well, on that was inflated. Everyone was talking about it, right? Yeah. So you have to assume people are going to check it out, even just to hate watch it. I certainly did. I watched all the episodes. I thought it was atrocious um and i i kind of love how bad it is now in like a joel schumacher way uh, but um it didn't justify a second season same with resident evil probably. but it's so strange when you're talking about netflix specifically because they're a subscription model right mm -hmm. and it's like i mean all they can do they don't release the numbers we know that right all they can do is look at the numbers but even that it's like okay but like you're playing with house money a little bit you always have been you know what i'm saying be that being that like you're a tech company one so you can sort of coast off of the fact of like our company is worth some whatever that they view it as valued as. But then also like you have a certain amount of people subscribing to to your actual service and that gives you a, a certain amount of money. Right. But are any of these are any of these movies or series leading to new subscribers is the only way I could see. You know what I mean? Like yeah. outside of traffic, like, I was like, OK, a lot of people are watching it. A lot of people are talking about it. Does that translate into more people getting Netflix subscriptions? I mean, it's just a weird model, you know what I'm saying? And in, in general. So it's like, I'm just very curious, you know, cause, cause you see the shows that stay and you're, you, you kind of, you kind of wonder like, okay, like, and then once it gets canceled and you're like, well, that seemed to, and again, I use HBO as a perfect example of this, right? Remember the movie, you remember girls, right? Like sure. remember our, our even euphoria, right? These are shows that when, when they're, when they were on or when they are on, cause I think Euphoria is still going right. Like, if you go on social media, like, you will see endless sort of people giving their takes or are just generally posting about these shows, right? But then when you actually look at the audience numbers, they're fairly small. Like, you know what I mean? Like, Euphoria is not doing half, not, not even a quarter of a quarter of what fucking... A, one of those fucking uh, shows like Yellowstone, you know what I mean? Like mm. shows Yellowstone has a premiere and it has 11 million people. Like Euphoria is like a couple hundred thousand or some shit. Like it's not even close. A hundred thousand. Like Holy they said shit. that the they said that like Euphoria had a it was like 500k or something. It was so, something like that. Like it was like Damn. Euphoria had like a 500k view audience the night the new episode came on, and then it's like oh, then in the same week they posted fucking uh, the numbers that were like 11 million for fucking uh yellowstone but the difference is the people who are loudest online who are most prominent online aren't watching yellowstone so they're not talking about it mm -hmm. you know what i'm saying so it's like trying to parse what's twitter or what's online from what's actually like the viewership because that could be starkly different you know what i mean like a lot you can have a lot of people like a lot of blue check in an era where i mean shut up the one thing i do like that Elon Musk did was get rid make that blue check irrelevant. Like it's fucking irrelevant now. It's great. But the blue checks would talk about 
this shit, right? Certain certain accounts, certain people with certain with a certain kind of clout currency would talk about a show like Euphoria a lot, and it would give the average view, the, the average person would get the sense that this was a way bigger show or a bigger phenomenon than it actually actually is when it comes to like the how many eyeballs are actually on this shit. You know what I mean? Like it's like actually no, like a lot of people aren't watching this shit. Like you know what I mean? So I'm always wondering when it comes to like shows that are streaming now, like. I don't know the metrics. I only know vague sort of things that they look at. And even then I'm like, it feels to me like it's all bullshit. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I feel like a lot of it is like, um, there's other things going on behind the scenes that we're not necessarily privy to or why certain shows stay on and certain shows don't, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I just re- learned recently that that horrible Amazon uh, Al Pacino show Hunters is is on its final season now. I watched it's still on. I, yeah, I know. Holy um, shit! I thought that I was done. That was when Jordan Peele was like a producing or whatever the fuck that shit. shit. I, I thought damn, that was he done. really expended his name. He put his name on every Everything. shitty TV show he that really came out at that time. And, 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 uh, yeah, I got a promo for that on YouTube. I was shocked that that was still going. So I, I, I had know. no I, idea. My guess is Copenhagen Cowboy. Yeah. I, I I would be happy. I'm always happy to hear Reffin getting more work. But he was you posted on Twitter right before we did the show, mm. uh, the Avenging Silence. I was looking forward to that. What what's the deal with that? Is there all, any word on what this is? All I know is? all I know is that Reffin mentioned it in a recent interview that he has this other movie that he's finishing now. Hmm. He's like, I'm finishing this other movie. You know how he says it in his reffing accent. I'm finishing. I'm working on. You know he's working on it. So apparently, like it's in post production. Apparently, so it's already shot. Nobody knows. Or or at least that's that's the way it's. I could be wrong. Maybe he's still shooting it. But it seemed like the way he was talking about it was he was finishing it. So maybe finishing is is maybe he's got a few days. Or he's either in post. I'm assuming it's either post production or he's they've already started and he's finishing it because he the way he was talking about it was like I'm like it's not like oh we're in pre-production or like he said he was finishing this movie that he was doing um i think he said he mentioned where he was shooting it at it was over somewhere but like but when you read the synopsis for it it's talk about yakuza and shit i'm like all right i'm in i'm all right (laughs) you know what i mean i'm like reffing doing anything in sort of that like the uh, the screenwriters of that avenging silence Mm -hmm. uh are like 007 james bond traditional like mystery thriller guy yeah but see the thing about it is that's what I love about Reffin is it doesn't mm-hmm. fucking matter who it is. <laughs> yeah, no. Like first time. you could write the whole script and he's gonna be like, "Yeah, today we're going to not do that." And we're, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, well, you know what to, I mean? Just to your point with Copenhagen Cowboy, mm-hmm. uh, that was written by some woman who's done a couple of different films. Yeah, um, and I think there was somebody else who also co-wrote it. He didn't touch it aside from I guess the story and his yeah. embellishes when directing. I always now I say this, and I've I've, I've gone on record as saying this. Like I have more, I put, I grade filmmakers on different tiers and like writer directors are on their own tier. It's a tier above just reg, just directors, right? Like where I'm like, if you're just a director, you're on a different tier. I don't, I can't put you in the same as a writer director, but I look at somebody like Fincher, who's not a writer director, but I Fincher's still very high on the, you know, on a tier of director, even though he's not a writer director, but I still put him like below someone who I may not think is technically as good as him. Like I don't think Paul Thomas Anderson is technically as good as Fincher. You know what I'm saying? Technically, Mm -hmm. but I'm like, but he's a writer director, even though I don't really fuck with 
fucking licorice pizza or whatever the fuck it was. But but still, you know what I mean? Like like I put him on a different tier and Refin, he's not a writer director really, but like he's such an auteur that like the script and as somebody who writes scripts, like I get annoyed when there's directors, there's directors who do this shit all the time. Like they're not um they will put their name on a script when they didn't do shit. Like they'll be like change change the character of Jason to Tom. I want co-writing credit now. There's motherfuckers like that or they try to like get the whole credit and so they can have more. And it's like, first of all, you're already a director. So it's already your medium. You know what I mean? So it's like, you're already going to have, you know, whatever. But, but so it's kind of annoying. Like when I see certain directors who are more, let's be honest, they're more like hired gun kind of guys, right? Where it's just like, they can just slot them in, but they'll want a fucking, a film by fucking, Stephen C. Miller. <laughs> it's like, bro, you're not a writer director, but whatever. Okay, you don't warrant a film by a film by credit, but you know Hollywood's driven by ego, so whatever. But like Refn, on the other hand, is one of those directors where it's like, yeah, he's an auteur. Like, it doesn't matter who you bring in there. Like, you can bring in fucking the most. Like, you can bring in. Let, let me name a direct uh, a screenwriter who has a very a very prominent specific kind of voice okay aaron sorkin i don't really like aaron sorkin but i'm gonna use him because everyone knows how a sorkin movie sounds right yeah you put sorkin in there it, it's not gonna sound it's not gonna be a Sorkin. No, you movie. pick the most polar opposite guy yeah, most chatty yeah. fucking screenwriter <laughs> the most silent director like yo if you put if you put sorkin with refin refin is gonna like look at the sorkin dialogue and he's gonna be like this scene is 12 page dialogue scene um we're going to do it completely silent. You know what I mean? Like what? Wait, what? What the fuck? You know, he's just gonna take. He's literally like just like I'm crafting this, and I feel like he's like those are certain kind of directors who are truly like it doesn't matter who's 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 writing, like you know what I mean? Like because the script to him is like it's a it's a jumping off point, and actually brings me to another fucking point. Um, I don't know if do you know the screenwriter uh, Joss Olson? Uh, what what has he written? Uh, he wrote um, the Cronenberg American history. Um, what is it? Um, what am I saying? Uh, America. What is it? History of violence. I was about to say American history X. He wrote a history yeah, of violence. Yeah, uh, I'm not uh, familiar with his other work. So I'm only familiar with the movie. And ironically, Aaron Sorkin bringing up Joss Olson because Joss Olson has a podcast that he no longer does anymore. It was called the West Wing thing, and he he did it with. Uh, the guy Dave, who does that podcast called uh, History Podcast, I forget what the fuck it's fucking called right now. But him and they, they, the whole thing was about how the West Wing sucks, and like basically, like they rewatched every episode and talked about how it's shitty. Like this is shit. Like it's garbage. And they had they have a new podcast where they do. It's called the Audit, and they take those stupid master classes like and they talk about all these master classes and like they'll do the George Bush one and they'll be like, yeah, this is war criminals saying all this shit, whatever. So. Josh Olson, he also has a screen. He also has a podcast with fucking Joe Dante, like fucking mm. the movies that made us. Well, Josh Olson, I tweeted not that long ago, a few days ago, I tweeted like, cause I get annoyed about other screenwriters. I, I just know these screenwriter people and they kind of annoy me. But like, I, I tweeted like that a script is a, um, the words I use, what were the exact words I use? It, it's an internal document, right? As a, when you're a screen, when you're writing as, as a screenwriter, you're making an internal document. Now, when you're a author, 
you're putting it, you're putting your metaphorical balls on the table, his or her metaphorical balls on the table as, as an author, as a director, you're putting a director is putting his or her metaphorical balls on the table as a director, as a writer director, his or her metaphorical balls. Like that's something that's a distinction that needs to be made. And then Josh, Josh Olson was like, Oh, stop. You know, that's, that's what he first said to me. Right. And then I was like, and I told him, I, I replied to him like, I'm, you know, well, I'm jaded. So, you know, whatever. But then he replied back, like something to the effect of like, I'm diminishing like the, the, the as a, the business, the industry that is, uh, it, that's built on diminishing the work of writers, we shouldn't contribute to it. And I'm like, first of all, I disagree. Second of all, you're the same guy who, and I like Josh, but I like him. Like I've had a couple of interactions. I like him, whatever, but, but you know, this is the same guy who wrote the fucking village voice piece called no i won't read your fucking screenplay that i don't know if you've read that or heard about that before. Uh, yeah i'm familiar with it yeah, yeah. so he, josh wrote that right so this is the guy who wrote no i won't read your fucking screenplay and it made all of these adult baby screenwriters mad like i thought it was fucking funny making it mad but whatever but you know what i'm saying but it's this idea that like no 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 it's it, it's a writing a script is this weird kind of thing where like i know so i have so many peers and people that i know who get in who get into screenwriting and that's all they want to do. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't understand it. Like, I'm like, I got into this because I wanted to direct, right? Like, I can always write. Like, so, so I sort of like was like, I just followed sort of the path of like almost where it was taking me. Not the least of least resistance necessarily, because you're gonna encounter a lot when you try to be a screenwriter. But but the whole thing is like that was, it's always a means to an end. I never write or sit down and make something with the intention of like just stopping and then letting someone take over the wheel. I'll do that if it's, they're going to pay me enough money and, and it makes sense. Like, you know what I mean? It's some shit I don't really give a fuck that much about. Like, I'm like, well, you know, I don't really, this isn't something I really care if like I make it or not, but I typically don't invest that much time on something I don't want unless it's a straight up assignment. Like, unless it's somebody that already has some shit and they're like, Hey, can you write this thing? It's about this and we want it to be this. And then I'll look at it and I'll be like, I'll weigh my options. Like how much are you going to pay me? How much time? And then I'll be like, all right, cool. But that's more of a hired gun thing. Right. Yeah. But this idea that like screenplay specifically are, are anything more than a thing that is like, it's like you're making Ikea instructions. Like, like, you know what I mean? Like, it's like, mm-hmm. no, no one wants to read, like no one wants to read this outside of people in a very, small circle, you, you, you try to make an average person. I said somebody, I said this about the blacklist because Franklin, uh, I don't know if you know about the blacklist, you probably don't. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, you know about the blacklist? Okay, cool. Yeah, yeah. Cool. So I like Franklin Leonard, the guy who created blacklist was complaining because some stupid site posted like a, a, a Google drive link to all the scripts on the blacklist. They leak every year, who fucking cares? Of course. How dare the, the site post scripts that are in active development, well, whatever. I was like, I can print out all of those scripts right now and leave them in Starbucks and come back a month later and no one will touch them or they'll be in the trash. No one wants to read these fucking scripts outside of Hollywood. You know what I mean? Like are people who want to be in the business. You, I, you can't, I couldn't put a gun to my mom's head to make her read a script I wrote. Like, you know what I'm saying? She'll, she'll, yeah. she'll say, oh, my son's talented. I love him, oh, but she's not about to read my fucking script. So I don't, so it goes back to Josh's thing. Well, no, I won't read your fucking script. Nobody wants to read these fucking things. So with that in mind, it's just weird. Like to me, how there's a whole cottage industry or a whole world built on like a screenwriting Twitter is the worst, one of the worst 
things ever. Like I hate it, but like there's people that are on there talking about screenwriting shit all day. Like I, all, I all. despise seeing it's like the, the inspirational, the, your script should be, your, <laughs> you gotta do this. And that it's, it's the worst, it's the fucking worst type of people. I have, I know people that do it. And I just, it's, I'm like, you should be ashamed of yourself. Like you, <laughs> you should be ashamed. Like, you know what I mean? You know, we're making fun of you behind your back. Like, you know, we're like, I, it comes back to like, I think people really like the identity of I'm a screenwriter. You know, yeah, and that's being able to use that and talk about that and, you know, put put it out there as their personality so they can, you know, secure. That's the, and that's what I, I said, that exact thing. I said, these are there's a lot of people that are in love with the idea of other people viewing them as a screenwriter, as opposed exactly. to like action or, or anything, viewing them as a filmmaker, viewing them as a writer. They're more obsessed with that than actually writing or actually making shit like mm -hmm. they're just want to be like. I made a thing. Now I can die. You know what I mean? Like, and, and that's who are everywhere in the industry. Like I look at a show like flash, right? A show like the flash. This, I've never watched a single episode. It looks horrible, but like I've interacted with people who write on the show and I'm like, Oh yeah. Like don't put anybody in those rooms. Like they don't give, like, it's just the, the, all the people in the rooms are like, I, I write for a show. I'm a, I'm a TV writer. You know what I mean? Like they're obsessed with the idea of being a TV writer as if it sounds cool. Yeah. I write yeah. Like, you know what I mean? They're like, I'm but, a TV writer. It's like, yeah, but you, you're not good. And like, you know what I mean? Like, like that's another thing. Like, that's why I hate television. Like I, I'm a movie guy. Like I've always been a movie guy. That's why I have fucking goofy posters and shit, but like, I'm a movie guy. Right. Um, but, but I don't like the writer's room. I know people that work on all those fucking shows. Like I, the idea of sitting in a room with these people, they don't want to sit in there with me either. So, <laughs> but like the idea of like being in a room with all these fucking people, like, and like doing this weird story math where you get a whiteboard and then you break story and then you're like, you know, like, and you get this episode and then I mean, ultimately the showrunner rewrites everybody else to keep the show's voice, voice, you know, like, which is a joke. There's not a lot of voice in television, but, but you know what I mean? But it's, it is writer driven in, in the way that film isn't film is director driven but TV has always been writer driven. Like writers actually have clout in, in mm -hmm. TV, especially the showrunner. But this idea that like, I would want to go into that and be around these kinds of people because that's who we're staffed. It's the easiest way to get into the business and call your past yourself off as a creative because you get to hide around other 12 other people or however many other people are in the writer's room. It doesn't matter because there's actually no one to really blame except for the showrunner maybe, right? Like it's like, if your show sucks, it's almost, it's a feel, you could be like, well, you know, it's, that's the story I had to write. It was in the room, you know, like, or whatever. And if, you, if your episode's good, who fucking knows who did the heavy lifting? You know what I'm saying? Like, who fucking yeah, yeah. knows? Like, it could have been the showrunner rewrote your whole fucking episode because it sucked. But you would never know because you're staffed on the fucking show. You know what I'm saying? And mm -hmm. the ways that people get those jobs are, like, literally who you know. Like, are like, I know this guy. So, therefore, he was like, hey, you know what? There's a, there's a writer's assistant job. And you know what a writer's assistant does? They just take all the notes in the room and get people coffee. And then those fucking people, I, I know people right now on Twitter who are giving out unsolicited advice about breaking into the industry who are writer's assistants. I'm like, you get fucking coffee. You take notes. Why are you telling people anything? But that's the type of fucking world that this shit is. It's like everyone is like faking it till they make it. All these motherfuckers are more obsessed with the idea of being a thing than the actual reality of what that thing is. And it's reflective in whatever the shit that they do manage to get out. You know what I mean? Like it's, it, it, it's like, oh, it's just, it's, it's, we're in a point now where 
with the with the obsession of franchise IP shit that everything that we see now is what was ridiculed in the past. And what I mean by that is it's all fanfic. Mm-hmm. Like it's all of this shit is fan fiction. Like, you know what I mean? Like, and you're just basically being paid to write fan fiction. Like, you know what I mean? If you can get into one of those jobs, it's not about like your ability, you know? So when I, when I uh, come across a filmmaker or someone like Refn venturing in, and even Tarantino's now venturing into TV, that's exciting to me because it's like, it's breaking that whole shit. Cause they're not about to follow any of that shit. You're not about to get staffed on ref and show because you, you're his best wife's best friend or or whatever the fuck, you know, because he's like, no, it's his fucking show. Like, or Tarantino, you think Tar- Tarantino's going to write every single one of those fucking episodes. <laughs> he's already did it. Like, oh, I have a 12 episodes uh, miniseries. He's already wrote it. Like, you know what I mean? There's, there's no fucking, like, you don't have to, we don't have to be like Walter Mosley who gets fucking told, he uses uh, the N-word and some white chick who works with him goes to HR. <laughs> Walter <laughs> Mosley said, nigga. Oh, you know what I mean? It's like, come on, bro. Like, that's, and he had, there was a whole thing and he quit the show. He was like, I'm, I'm quitting. Fuck this. You know what I'm saying? Cause like Walter Mosley's yeah. an old dude, he's an old black guy. He didn't want to hear this fucking shit from this fucking millennial Zoomer or whatever the fuck. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, you know what I mean? I'm in the room and I, I'm saying, you're making me uncomfortable. Like, that's the type of people you got to deal with. Like, the blue hairs and the people that, like, people always make memes about, like, they're in the rooms like they're in the rooms you have to deal with these people regardless of if they're completely absurd and ludicrous you know what i mean like and how you navigate that is really going to affect what you are what you want it it depends on what you want to do but none of the people when i get i I don't know i listen to your show so i kind of i kind of understand a little bit of you know where you're coming from anyways none of the types of filmmakers or the types of people that you're into or that you or i would be into are even interested in that model like like and what i mean by that is you that's not to say we don't like stuff that comes out of there, but like if you really pay attention to those filmmakers, they're they're really playing by their own rules. You know what I mean? Like Absolutely. they're they're using they're doing the thing like Reffin's doing, which is I'm coming in and I'm going to make this thing. And if you don't want like Reffin, right? If you want it to be something else, then you just don't hire me. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. and most people would never do that. Like that get into like Hollywood in general, like the people that would do that are a very select few. And the majority of them are just can't wait. They just can't wait, dude. Like yeah. And I, I do think that Refn's got kind of a unique streak going where he hasn't been, uh, you know, his what his one big opportunity doing like a studio movie was drive. Mm-hmm. And look at how that turned out. Like he, he terraformed that into one of his types of movies. Mm-hmm. So he's got this this unique sense where even if he's working for a major studio, um, he hasn't been in a position where he has to compromise his his vision or his style, right. um, which tends to be the case with everybody else. So mm-hmm. yeah, I, I, I think in order for there to be like more interesting stuff and more, mm-hmm. uh, I don't know, just creatively satisfying films and television shows to come out, well, I'll, I'll focus on films here in, in this instance. You're going to need a lot more of these boutique um, distribution companies, uh, ones that aren't so concerned with forming a particular uh, uh, texture to them. Mm. I think A24 has almost like succumbed to what the expectation of their audience is. Yeah. In this sense, where like a lot of their films in the first five or six years are great 
and you can rewatch them. And they still make great movies now. They're still probably like the and, best. Uh, and they've made a lot of bad ones too. Oh yeah. Like like people forget that like they made movies like Slice, that fucking yeah. werewolf Charlie movie. Charlie Swan the Third was. The <laughs> yeah, movie but you remember that werewolf Swan. movie with Chance the Rapper that was at a pizza shop? Yep. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like they've made a whole lot of dog shit. I mean, they I I do think that Tusk Tusk they did Tusk Kevin Smith Tusk. I don't I don't I think Tusk I have to I have to really I love Tusk. I, I was gonna say I have to really I, I have to really I have to really think about that because I I think Tusk might legitimately be like an underrated movie. I think like, it is under you know I, a lot of people hate Tusk. <laughs> I'll be the lone defender of Tusk. I'm fine with that, and I'll be yeah. first in line for Tusks when it comes out. Yeah, I, I honestly so. think that's probably one of the best things probably Kevin Smith has ever done. Like, yeah. <laughs> like you know, what I think I mean? it like, helps to have like see he did something with Tusk where it was clearly an out there idea, and it was one of those. I remember it was created on this podcast. Like, yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> and it was just like, fuck it. I'm just going to do it to do it. Mm -hmm. And it's just going to be this weird thing. But nowadays people try to do that mm -hmm. and they know how like weird it's going to be and quirky and it just fucking sucks. Uh, and Tusk was, I think, right before, right before just do, you know, and is not exactly part of that. Mm -hmm. I'm trying to think of one off the top of my head that kind of meets that. I mean, you could argue that Cocaine Bear, even though I know you seem yeah. excited about Cocaine Bear. You I mean, look, I think that I think it's probably going to be fun. It looks fucking mm -hmm. great. But I mean, it was a, it was a script that when it came out, it was like it went around and people were like pretty sure it got sold as a spec bidding war because it was like the Cocaine Bear. Blah, 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 and I'm like, you know what I mean? So it's like it was one of those things that was it was a green light. Like it was just about who they attached. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I guess Elizabeth Banks. I don't think it'll be reflective in necessarily the movie. I'm pretty sure. I didn't even know she directed that until you said that's that. what I'm saying. Like no one so. knows, but this is what I mean. Like, it, I don't think it really matters in this case. You know, I think that like, you know, she's going to have all the right people in positions to make sure that the movie comes out. You know yeah. what I mean? As a, it's a fucking movie about a cocaine bear. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I think she's a competent enough. I've never seen her Charlie's angels movie, but I'm pretty sure she's a competent oh. enough to make that like, what it is i hope not... so i don't know i saw a pitch perfect two or three or whatever the hell she did and i was like holy fuck i mean i i, I look pitch perfect is pitch perfect I, I i thought the first one was watchable but then it was just like wow did she do that one really yeah okay fuck it was i mean i mean i've ever seen uh, yeah um, she's this bad yeah <laughs> I, I don't know, this, this is an interesting choice for her though I, i'm sure it'll be interesting enough i don't know we'll see yeah um, yeah. I was I was gonna say what were we what were we talking about before we got to cocaine bear because it was some I forget um it was something uh, you hmm. Kevin Smith right we were on Kevin, Kevin Smith Kevin Smith oh, yeah. 24 something yeah 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 something. it's interesting about him is 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 and I know you I know I don't know what you I do kind of know what your feelings are on Kevin Smith I feel like are you do you like Kevin Smith or do you are, what, what are your feelings on Kevin Smith <laughs> I kind of love Kevin Smith but I'm frequently disappointed by Kevin. yeah i feel like everybody's went i feel like everyone has gone if you're of a certain age and you're and you watch film i think everyone goes through a kevin smith phase right and then you kind of outgrow it i definitely had my kevin smith phase that i outgrew and i definitely do find him to be routinely disappointing but mm -hmm. i will say this about kevin smith um as much as he's tried to sell out as much as he's tried he hasn't been able to and I don't know if that's just because they don't want him. Like, you know what I mean? But he's tried. He cries at every Marvel movie. He's trying. Like, you know, but 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 he's done it on his own terms. I mean, you really think about it, like all the movies he's made, the majority of them are just his goofy ass movies. Like, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like even the ones that he's putting out that are like based off of his 
getting high on this podcast and making like you know moose jaws if that ever comes out that fucking kill ghoul that just got bought somebody bought that recently (laughs) i think universal did see what i'm saying Uh, like so he's his career is you couldn't want a better career because he's literally all of his goofy ideas get made regardless like you know what i mean like i think well i think there's an interesting thing happening with him um where he decided to take a turn after doing cop out when he started doing his like cop out is his one movies. yeah cop out is his one you're right you're right that, that was his attempt and it yeah, didn't yeah. take it, w- it didn't work out yeah. um where all of his movies after that were like all right it'll be my original idea and then to a certain point it was like and i'm not even going to make it for the studios i'm not going to make it for a general audience i'm going to make it for my audience yeah but the thing about that is and i've heard him say this on recent interviews about clerks three is that that audience is not building you know he's Mm -hmm. gearing everything toward that one audience he has baked in there yeah and it's not it's not developing people are growing out of it you know Mm -hmm. there's nobody discovering these movies and because what clerks i think did and the charm of clerks in the 90s was there was nothing else like it at the time yeah but this podcast right here is clerks essentially (laughs) you can find it in fucking everything now so it, it doesn't it doesn't have that kind of same weight to it even though we can all recognize maybe there was something important or interesting down there for indie film and so you know if you're not amassing new blood into your audience in in great numbers because you keep making these green screen films with all of your actor friends and doing callback jokes to mall rats or chasing (laughs) amy or whatever um you have to try something different Mm -hmm. now clerks 3 i guess made its money back on home video because lionsgate that's how that's their business model we'll throw Mm -hmm. it or you can put it in theaters through like fathom events for yeah fathom events yeah yeah and the blu-rays will sell themselves because that audience is there for it so um it's successful in that degree but as far as um longevity goes i don't know i think he's gonna he's clearly got to do something different here but uh i enjoyed clerks three i thought actually that's about it i enjoyed clerks i've been waiting i've been waiting on it i'm gonna watch it um i'm i'm fair i'm vaguely interested um, I still have a soft spot for Kevin Smith, regardless of how cringe and fucking annoying he can be or disappointing mm-hmm. he can be. Um, I, I just feel that way about like, I think all the early nineties auteurs, all those guys I feel that yeah. way about Spike Lee as well. Yeah. Where Spike. Yeah. He, yeah. he makes a lot of garbage. He makes a lot of dog shit, but I mm-hmm. will give him a courtesy watch basically no matter what. And the same rule yeah. applies to Kevin Smith. Yeah. I, yeah. I, I, I said that, um, about Spike when I was kind of like, I remember when I guess it was Chance the Rapper was mad about like his bad Chirac movie. And I was just kind of annoyed at the, this, that had him specifically, which that panned out really well for him. Look where he's at career wise. But, but, but it's just one of those things where I'm like, who the fuck are you, Chance? Like Spike Lee, yes, he has stupid movies now. He does stupid shit, but he's made do the right thing. He's made Malcolm X, he's made fucking uh, Summer of Sam. He's made fucking, he got game. He's got like legitimate, like classic fucking movies under his belt though. Regar- you know what I mean? Like, so yeah. regardless, it's like, I Spike is one of those filmmakers who, yes, like I will give him a courtesy watch, even though his old boy is an abomination. Like, you know, I will, I will give it a courtesy watch because it's a Spike Lee, you know, like um, uh, to, to be fair to Spike, that is the movie he took uh spike lee joint off of the only yeah, one yeah they, so, they i guess mangled yeah. that further i yeah. have a i have like a 
uh, some book he put out in 2021. Oh, the big, the big coffee table book. You yeah, bought that? Yeah, 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 yeah. I thought about his, it. <laughs> his note on old boy. Cause he covers all of it, everything he ever directed. I think even commercials mm. and it's not like in depth or anything. It's like literally just production photos, yeah. stills and like a little note here. And his one thing for old boy was, I hope someday people will finally get to see my version of old boy so he, he's very adamant that studio canal or whoever put that out focus uh really fucked with that and i don't doubt it but i don't think there was any saving yeah that. yeah I, I all of those filmmakers like you said i do have a soft spot for them even guys like robert rodriguez who mm -hmm. like isn't really making any good movies like you know like uh i still like have a soft spot like for you know obviously well, tarantino he doing he's doing like netflix I, I think he's doing a spy kids remake i think something. so I like know. he did he did that thing that red 48 weird yeah. series movie show shit there he shot the movie it was like inspired yeah. by this uh the fucking el mariachi where he's like i'm gonna make a movie for seven thousand dollars again or whatever he did it again and he yeah. made it and it's like all right i like literally i watched the series which was kind of interesting because he was making it with his sons and some fucking random people but then when i started i was like oh, let me just go ahead and click this on and i turned that shit off immediately i was like bro i can't <laughs> I was like, <laughs> no, I can't, cannot do this. Uh, uh, but yeah, I definitely have, I, I definitely have a soft spot for all of those, those sort of filmmakers. But you know, Tusk specifically, um, the genesis of that, 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 that movie, and like the fact that you could like watch or listen specifically, listen to him, sort of like, hi, come up with that idea, and then like literally trace, it, like literally, I'm beat by beat. Like this is the movie, and then I actually read the script too. I was like, "All right, let me see the script." And I was like, "Oh yeah, this is the this is the beat by beat the podcast." And then he actually made it. It's like it's one of those rare, like kind of like frozen and crystal ass. You could go back and look at it, like, "Oh shit!" Like, and it's like you witness him catching lightning in a bottle, like you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, and I know, I know people cool people so people hate that movie, but I'm like, no, she's. You know, I actually tapped. He was tapped into something that one. People say pot ruined Kevin Smith, and I'm like, I don't. I don't know about that. I think a lot of other things in that case, in that film's case, not, not. Yeah. Really, yeah. 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 I mean, I, I, it's kind of like, um, I don't know what horror fans really seem to want. Cause they don't seem satisfied when a movie, when a horror movie actually is doing something different, but is not just doing something different, but is full of character, yeah. you know? And I think Tusk is one of those movies. I would make the argument that I don't know how you feel about these films, but uh, the two David Gordon Green sequel films to his 2018 Halloween, Halloween Kills and Halloween Ends, I think are also in that category of doing I actually think, here's what I think about yeah. Halloween Kills and Ends specifically, right? Not the first one. The first one's like a serviceable. It's its own thing. It's yeah, it's its own thing, right? Similar. He goes in a totally different direction. Like, Kills was so ridiculous. Like, when mm -hmm. I watched it, I was like, what? This is complete horseshit, right? <laughs> but now when I think about it, I laugh. I'm like, yeah. wait a minute. And like anytime it's on, like, and I just catch it, I will laugh at the shit now where I'm like, this is, he had to be joking. Like, this is like yeah, some the, fucking, the comedy director, David Gordon. Green yeah, this is so movie. stupid. Like the two, what is it? Big, or John's, little John, John, Big John. Yeah. Like it, everything about it is absurd. The fucking, fucking uh, oh, evil dies tonight. <laughs> fucking. I love it. I love it. I want, I could watch it every It's Halloween fucking night. hilarious. But I yeah. actually think ends, ends is actually a lot better. Hmm. Uh, to me than like people I think ends is just a better movie but I feel like ends is kind of one of those movies that with time people will be a little bit more charitable to like yeah. like I get the things about it you're like whatever but actually I'm like actually no nah, it's not that no now I do think that like a lot of people owe Rob Zombie an apology 
Like, I really think Rob Zombie's, and this is me personally, I really think Rob Zombie's Halloween movies aren't bad. Like, I legitimately don't think they're bad. No, like, I, don't, I, don't, I haven't watched the second one in a while. Yeah. But the I, first movie I went I, back to, and I was like, yeah, no, this this just kind of feels like a like a good zo- Rob Zombie, yeah, zombie movie. movie. Yeah, right. That's what I'm saying. Like, I'm like, no, like I really think like like he and when you stack up all of the, and this is a very low bar because like there's one the first Halloween and it's pretty much everything below it. But but mm-hmm. I feel like in terms of sequels, I'm like those zombie ones have got to be up there. Like they're up there. Like they're above the majority of all of them. So it's like one of those things where and I feel like that Halloween ends is a is above a lot of those other sequels too. You know what I mean? Like it's it's a watchable movie. There's a, the, the 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 opening is ridiculous. Like is fuck when he kills that kid, kicks, <laughs> hits the door. It's the stupidest. <laughs> but I mean, but I, I'm going with it. Fuck it. And, and I, I watch the movie, and I'm like, I kind of like the way they went with the fucking guy, and he's sort of kind of weird. And and I like I think that if you can, yeah, if you can get past the fact it's called Halloween Ends, and yeah. you know you're supposed to have Michael Myers, it's going to be, be this big epic conclusion. If you can put that aside, yeah. There's a really enjoyable, very, uh, it's more of a remake of Christine than it is any sort of Halloween sequel. And I think that lead guy, I forget his name, Rowan Campbell, I think it might be, um, has such an impossible task ahead of him of leading that movie. (laughs) And I think he does a good job. I think he's a pretty dynamic and likable actor. So I'm not, I, I, I really enjoyed it, but it took me. By the second time I watched it, I was like, "Yeah, actually, I really fuck with this movie. I really like this movie." Yeah, yeah, it's it's it. I feel like there is some there is something there to it. It's it's kind of there's moments in there too. Like even even when Michael Myers blowtorches the guy's face and like stomps mm. stomps him, I'm like, "All right," I'm like, "Okay," like some of the kills, like I'm like, "All right," like there's I'm some like, ridiculous kills. It's yeah. some ridiculous kills, but I'm just kind of like, "Fuck it," yeah. It, I think that movie will will be received better. Um, as time goes on, uh, for short kills, I'm, I'm, kills is so absurd. Yeah. That kills is, I was like, I remember talking about like kills is so dumb. Like I'm like, this is a dumb fucking, it I, is, it's a dumb movie, but you know a, what? There's parts of that that feel it jumps between like being a mad TV sketch and like, Brian De Palma. <laughs> they literally have a guy from mad TV. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They have Stewart in there. So actually it's pretty on point. I don't know. I, I think, um, kills will probably wind up being forgotten because Halloween ends, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, I don't know. I think they're both great, but I'm cautiously optimistic. I, I don't even know if I would say optimistic about David Gordon Green's foray mm-hmm. into like the Exorcist franchise. Yeah, like, I was about Exorcist. to say that. I said, I said, uh, I was going to say David Gordon Green. I was going to ask you actually, like, hearing that he's going to be doing the Exorcist. I'm like, you're cautiously optimistic. I'm like, Maybe. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to feel about it. Honestly, yeah. I'm like, I'm like, are you? why are you still doing this horror thing? I don't like, I don't even like it's money. I guess it's money. You know, I guess I'm like, I don't even, I, I, do you think that David Green even likes horror movies? Like, I don't even know if he, I mean, we, we, we talked yeah. about that earlier. Like the filmmakers in the past didn't like horror movies were making them and shit. Like they were trying to, but I'm like, but I feel like I can't tell with him. Like, I think he likes them, but I think he also thinks he is above them. It wasn't his yeah. first, you know, he did George Washington, all the real girls and yeah, then he got into comedy. He's dabbled in in so many different genres. Uh, I don't think it's his first pick. I think he likes the paycheck, and yeah. they're not above bending the knee to that. With Eastbound and Down, their HBO show, which is hilarious, um, they were supposed to do three seasons of that, and the mm. third season feels like a good end. 
And then they got offered money for a fourth season. They were like, you know what? Fuck it. We'll do the fourth season. We'll make it ridiculous. It was kind of like Halloween kills and ends. Yeah. Where it's yeah. just like, you know what? We're just going to take it so over the top. We're going to make, we're going to give uh, the su- main supporting character just, he'll get facial reconstruction <laughs> surgery and blue eyes and big chin. You know, Kenny Powers will be famous again. And so they, they do do that from time to time. The exorcist thing could go either way. It depends on if he really wants to do it or if it's one of these. One of these gigs he's just picking up. Yeah, it's and, interesting. Uh, I, I, I don't know. I, you know, it, it, I love the first Exorcist film. I think it's one of the great American films ever made. Top yeah, five, yeah. top ten. And uh, I always feel like, oh, why, why are you doing that? Whenever they do a sequel or anything like that. But then I think about the sequels. It's like Exorcist 2 is not good, but it's so amusing and uh, unique Dominion. and a fantasy film, really. Mm. It's not even a horror movie. Uh, Exorcist three people have come around to that's kind of like the nerd. Pick yeah, yeah. For, Dominion for is the one movies. that's like, like, oh, I, I like Dominion. It's like, yeah, it's like fucking people saying they like the conversation or whatever the fuck, mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. <laughs> the Coppola movie, whatever the yeah. fuck. <laughs> and then you've got uh, the Rennie Harlan, Paul Schrader prequel film. Pre- and yeah, that's one of the two different versions. versions. Yeah, the, the yeah. Rennie Harlan version, the Paul Schrader version. Yeah. The Paul Schrader version is almost kind of watchable, except when the the horrible, not done CG. Comes what about at the end? Do you hear? Uh, do you hear about Paul Schrader's new movie that he's got <laughs> in the world? Oh, uh, Master Gardener. I had a, a friend <laughs> who went to go see that at a screening, and the, I don't know. The word I, I got from him was that it was as good as uh, First Reformed. Really? But, yeah. I mean, listen. I, yeah. I love Paul Schrader in general, but like his last two movies, I really, I, I, I love First Reformed, and I really liked uh, fucking the card, card counter. counter. Yeah, like. I was like, oh shit, Schrader still got movies in them. Like, oh, mm-hmm. okay. So I'm interested in it for sure. And then, then I saw like this what it was about. And I was like, okay. <laughs> like, Isn't it about a proud boy, a former yeah, proud former boy proud who boy. <laughs> uh gets into a relationship with a 17-year-old girl? I'm like, oh shit. Uh, okay, I gotta <laughs> <laughs> I can't wait for this to go uh okay, wait for the discourse about this one when it gets a, a wide release. Uh I'll be I'll be waiting uh for that. But yeah, that'll be um, great. I mean, look, you know, it comes back to kind of what you were talking about before about this, like, we're starting the next mm. turning, right? So maybe this is another step in that. I kind of feel like Tar, the mm. Todd Field movie, Todd is Field, like yeah. the first, like, putting your toe in the waters of we're starting to re-steer the ship back in a different direction. And something like that, if that's critically well-received, and it might not be. Maybe Blonde is part of that, too, um, Blonde, unintentionally. But, yeah, but Blonde, people are wrong about it. Like, yeah. I'm like... No, you're fucking wrong. Like I'm sitting yeah, here watching. People are so dead wrong about. That. I'm like, why? Like amazing. I'm like, you guys are just gonna lo- like five years from now, you're gonna be everybody's gonna pretend that they love blonde. Yeah. Like you know what I mean? Like, all these people that are like, it's whatever so they're cool. saying about Skinema Rink is actually about blonde. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, Skinema Rink. The, the, the fucking about. oh my god. Yeah, don't watch Skinema Rink, everybody. <laughs> 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 don't contribute. Download that torrented. Like fucking. <laughs> The guy's made enough money off of that. Well, he didn't make enough money. I'm sure IFC Midnight, Shudder, they made enough money off of that movie by conning people. And shout out to that guy because he made a little money. I'm assuming he told them he made it for 15K. He lied. But he got he probably got that back. So shout out to him for getting money out of them. Um, but it's not it's not uh it's not it's not what it's supposed to be. Uh but yeah, man. Uh, I think that's a good, that's a good, this is a good uh moment to bring it when she brought it back to Skin and Marine to uh to 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 close out the episode. So uh, I'd like to say uh, thank you uh, for coming on, Lorez. It, it was great to chop it up with you. Uh, this is the portion of the show where 
I give the mic over to you to sort of plug away at anything that you want people to check out. Sure. Subscribe to whatever. Uh, well, I have a I have a podcast myself uh, where we talk about movies called Movies, and you can just find that if you type in Movies Low Res. I'm I'm pretty sure something will come up. Mm. Uh, but I'd actually like to direct people over to mm. my YouTube channel and mm. uh, check out the trailer to Mass State Lottery because I'm going to be showing that to some distributors this month, and hopefully they'll buy. Hopefully, I'll have a hundred thousand dollars in my Dude, bank account after if that. you can fucking if this skin of marine guy can sell this <laughs> shit you can sell master lottery master lottery actually looks like it costs some money <laughs> yeah. like, you know yeah, what well, I'm saying? thank like, you that's that's, <laughs> that's very flat i'll tell you in the chat over here which distributor is thinking about uh okay. picking it up but they put out a famous horror movie recently that made a bunch of money mm. um so, oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, 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 so yeah. that would be very nice if that that mm. happened. Uh, no expectations, of course. If that doesn't happen, if nobody mm. wants it, I'll just put it out myself. I'll probably put it out. No, I'm not going to put it out for free, but I'll put and it out for an inexpensive amount of money. My friend, a yeah. uh, friend of my screenwriter friend, uh, uh, he, one of the people that this company that you just pointed to that helped release that movie specifically, oh. uh, them in another company um mm -hmm. helped release that movie uh it's a friend of his uh i can't i feel i gotta talk in code uh, <laughs> uh but um i know that like from what he's told me about obviously that side of it is more the other partners more genre based a little bit mm -hmm. but uh they're always looking for certain movies and there's a certain kind of budget like that they can like acquire movies for um i'm wondering what that company uh specifically will offer but like i feel like again if skin of a rink guy can sell his movie you got come on man i mean but again yeah, we, yeah we'll, we'll i know that i mean again i'm not even that's not even about i hate it's not it's not it's it's not even him i'm not even like i don't even have any ill will towards the guy or nothing like i don't it's just the the hype is so annoying like you know what i mean like mm -hmm. it's it's so annoying like to the point where i'm like it but it's for I mean it wouldn't be bad if it was just him, but like we've already discussed before at the top of this episode as I try to wrap it up, uh, yeah. is that every horror movie that comes out is this, right? It's this. It's the greatest, most important. How is every movie the most important horror movie of two, the last 10 years? It can't be all of them, right? So so yeah, hopefully, hopefully, um, that's a good sign for for uh mass state lottery uh because oh, I yes feel hopefully like, so yeah I'm because i feel be like my fingers crossed yeah I, I mean i mean obviously i know that that the skin of a rink movie was submitted to a festival and then once it screened then the other people came in i don't know you know what i'm saying i hate the festival circuit you know yeah hate, that that feels also very it, it feels like you're auditioning for you mm -hmm. know what i mean like can my movie hey guys but it's like i don't know like maybe Maybe, maybe uh, you don't have to go that route. Hopefully, you know what I'm saying? Hopefully, like, people could just see it and come to you. That and, would be uh, great. I mean, that that's the great. ideal is to not have to spend hundreds All this of money. thousands yeah. of dollars, dollars on fucking submission fees. Fucking, and then, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, you know, it's, a, it's, a, the movie it's a It's a, just a not, racket. It's, yeah, it's really it's a not, racket. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, man. Um, yes, hopefully to, Warner Brothers buys Mass yes, State Lottery. Yes, Oops, yes. once Warner Brothers, the company, is, it is Warner Brothers, guys. We tell you it's Warner Brothers. They're going to... They're coming. Uh, uh, 
hopefully uh that we will be seeing i look forward to seeing it man um and again as always uh i don't ever know how to properly end the podcast so uh it's you need a you need a slogan you need something to (laughs) that's my slogan literally every time i'm like i don't know how to end it so it's over uh, (laughs) and then i cue the music here